genre. It's Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. Today, we're continuing our miniseries on the Jurassic Park franchise with the sequel adaptation of Michael Crichton's 1995 sequel novel, 1997's The Lost World, colon, Jurassic Park. And we have a guest joining us to talk about predatory capitalism, Life-saving gymnastics and pre-old school Vince Vaughn is returning guest Phil Dragish. Welcome. Yes, it's uh, it's me. You couldn't get away from me. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome oh, back. Thank you. Thank you. How are you guys doing? How's Jurassic Park treating you? Great. A lot of a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think we I had mean, our especially... longest episode ever with Jurassic Park with the first. Oh one. hell yeah! So... Jurassic Park's like one of the best movies ever. Yeah, I love that thing. It's true. Um, so what is your, what is your background with, with, you know, the Jurassic Park franchise? Did you, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack here. (laughs) This is why I was so adamant. Like, I can't believe it. There's, there's a spot for me and I can talk about Jurassic Park. So (laughs) yeah. Um, Okay. I'm going to talk about it. So I, I love to make movies. Um, and I, uh, as established in our last episode. That's right. That's right. That's right. As established <laughs> in the last episode. And uh, just to make things brief, the exciting part here is that this movie and Jurassic Park one, I, I was born in 89. So that means that I was four when Jurassic Park came out and I was <clears throat> eight when The Lost World came out. And Jurassic Park was a movie where I realized because I was looking at the the old, you know, the old um, blockbuster, the, the old video rental stores, yeah. right? Makes a makes a cameo appearance in this film. It does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I looked at the poster of Jurassic Park. I knew about it. You know, I really wanted to see this thing when I was four. I don't think my parents let me see it in the cinema. They said, we're going to wait until it comes out on VHS. So I had to wait patiently. So I can watch that thing. And my dad fast forwarded through all like the scary dinosaur parts, which was like, uh, what? No, I want to see the T-Rex. I remember specifically that VHS playing and, you know, the T-Rex coming out and then it, do, it you know, hitting the hitting the uh, Ford Explorer and my dad going, OK, we're going to have to forward this. It's going to get very violent. We don't want you to see this. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> was anyway, he guessing or had he already watched the movie? He was he had an intuition. OK. He had an intuition about about this, and I love dinosaurs clearly. And I had like a bunch of I collected dinosaur toys, and I had all that kind of stuff going for me. So when I saw that poster on you know at the blockbuster, it said a Steven Spielberg film, mm-hmm. and that made me. I was 
four or five, you know what I mean? So this had me thinking, these aren't real. This isn't real. Someone, <laughs> someone made this movie. There's a, mo- a person's attached to a film. What does this mean? Mm-hmm. I want to know. And so from then, I started my journey into finding out what like, movie making was all about because I had no clue as a child. I don't know if you guys have any memories of that, like where you first found out that movies aren't documentaries. <laughs> yeah, I well, so I, I think about I mean, I think I mentioned this in, our, in one of our very first episodes when we talked about Scream. About like, oh yeah, Scream being like the movie that like made me be like, oh, you like people write these, <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember yeah. you saying that. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, no, totally. I'm, um, you know, I think everybody has that movie that like makes them be like, well, okay, but like, how, how, what, what are, what is, mo- what is movie making? Totally. Like, what is, what is any of this? And I think largely it was a combination for me. I think it was going to Universal Studios Florida for the first time. Oh, that was like the thing that I was like. Because the whole point of the park back then yeah. was like teaching you how movies are made, right? The um, movies, and so that's where I learned a lot about, you know, yeah, all of that stuff. And then I started watching behind the scenes stuff, and yeah, I remember. My I parents... remember if I'm mis- not mistaken, I think the Lost World had one of those HBO behind the scenes, um, things that they would they would air. Um, HBO yes, made yes. like a ton of those. They did like anytime any kind of like new technology or whatever like i remember watching the one for the frighteners a million times and like yeah. speed Two cruise control i think i've seen the behind the scenes of speed Two. <laughs> i mean like like at least a like a probably a four to one for like how many times i've actually seen speed Two. <laughs> i know man and it just made you just made your mind wander so much and it was that's the thing that that's what jurassic park was for me my parents actually taped a behind the scenes I think it was the making of Jurassic Park. It aired. I lived in Austria as well, in, uh, in Europe, in Austria, and they had and they started airing like the behind the scenes for Jurassic Park, and I'm like, this is incredible! <laughs> like I, I remember seeing like different visual effects in progress, kind of like steps. Like you could see the T Rex as it was like it's a rough animation, and then it was the animation but without the compositing, and my mind was blown, and I can't believe that you actually. They made animatronics, they made puppets, they made all this sort of stuff for it. So Jurassic Park was that for me. Mm-hmm. And then to an extent, Lost World was the same thing because for Christmas in uh, like 97, uh, I really wanted to get the making of Lost World book. Mm. And my parents bought that for me and I just went all the way through that. And through that, I learned about what Photoshop was as well. <laughs> Because it's you know they were showing the concept art and it was like Photoshop examples and I'm like what the hell is Photoshop and then <laughs> a couple of years later I was able to ask my older cousin who's like he's fifty now so there's a big um, age difference there and he said oh Photoshop's this program you can do like you know you can cut things out and put things in and I'm like Pfft. I think at the and time too Photoshop was like Macs only like that too they were the yeah, only yeah, thing yeah, that yeah, could yeah. handle it PCs couldn't even handle. PCs forget about it. Was it was so advanced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. And so this is kind of for a behind the scenes kind of look into movies. That's what Jurassic Park and Lost World was for me. And I remember we took a trip in 97 to Florida. My This is the only time I ever visited Disney World. The only time I ever visited Universal Studios was in 1997 in, like, in the summer. <laughs> wow. And they had, and we went to, you know, we went, the Jaws ride. We did all those um, amusement park delights in yeah. um, 
as much as we could. And then they also had um, remnants of the set for The Lost World mm. as a kind of promo thing. I don't know if you guys yeah. are familiar with that. I still have some pictures of like that environment. I think it was the camp in The Lost World. Yeah. Where you uh you you're walking through it and then I could see the footprint of the T Rex and you and they did that rumbling. I remember when thing. I was going, that promo was for the Flintstones movie. So <laughs> it was all so well, still dinosaurs. dinosaurs, but yeah. very different kind of dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> I will never forget these these uh these memories. And I don't wanna drag this on, but there's so much other stuff that I loved with Jurassic Park and Lost World. I drew pictures. I made fan films. I made mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff uh, pertaining to to this this yeah. film. And Lost World for me was because I was a lot younger for Jurassic Park. So when Lost World came out, I was I just had a much more intellectual point of view <laughs> for an eight year old um, as to what movies are and what the context was. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was like the big thing because I was a lot older and I was able to just obsess over the marketing and the concepts and the fact that it was a island with dinosaurs running around. And it was just like an exciting, exciting prospect for me. So yeah. I, I love that stuff. And I've loved Jurassic Park ever since, obviously. It was so an exciting time. The Lost World was everywhere when yes, it was. came out. The marketing was insane. Nick, do massive. you remember seeing this? Did you see this in theaters? Or was this another one that sort of like you came to kind of at the same time as Jurassic Park for you? So I'm uh, a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I, was, I wasn't quite as susceptible to the mass marketing machine as I would be in next week's episode in Jurassic Park 3. Right. Ah. But that being said, I have a very strong memory of and actually if you two could help me out with this cuz I I'm this could be a paradox. This could be a fake memory. Okay? But Sure. I have a memory of walking down a movie theater hallway, you know, 4 or 5 at the time if it's like 96, 97 and seeing the poster for The Lost World. And you know, something has survived. Right. And that was how I learned they were making a Jurassic Park 2. Uh-huh. Uh, and, I, and I was like, whoa, oh my God, they're making a new Jurassic Park movie. And it's coming out in like a couple weeks because I'm five and it's the 90s. And this, <laughs> is, how, this yeah. is how you learn stuff then. And but then if I'm remembering right, next to it was a poster for Saving Private Ryan. So <clears throat> but that wouldn't come out until the next year. Yeah. So I, so I don't think and, that's possible. And not, not only does it come out, not come out until the next year, but he makes Amistad in between the two. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because Amistad I, was also in 97. Because one of the things that I, I, I am realizing about Spielberg, which I think is very interesting as a filmmaker, is he has his entire career is in fits and like, like fits and starts. Like he has little batches of movies that come out and then in between the batches of movies there'll be like a four to five year gap um but then in that batch he'll have like five movies in three and a half years and you're like whoa so many spielberg crazy and and then he takes a break for like four to five years and then comes back and does the same thing again um and it's absolutely bonkers and it's out of like he he schedules it all so these alternating between effects heavy films with lots of post-production and character-centric stuff that has almost no post-production. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and he just alternates between them all. 
And so from his perspective, he's just lining them up and knocking them down. But from our perspective, it's like, whoa, that's a lot of Spielberg all at once. <laughs> um, it's just interesting. But yeah, it was this was the first Lost World was the first in a set of films that he did that were like one right after the other. So it was like Lost World, Amistad, um, Saving Private Ryan might just be those three. Uh, ninety-seven between ninety-seven mm-hmm. and ninety-eight. Yeah, I think I think yeah, Ryan was his last film of the nineties, and yeah. then his next film might have been AI. Right, and then it was yeah. like AI. Two thousand Spielberg, Minority yeah. Report. Yeah, Minority Report. Catch Me If You Can. Um, and uh, something else. There was like four movies in a row there. Um, War of the Worlds, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. uh, War of the Worlds mm-hmm. in Munich both came out in 05. Oh, five. Okay. So that was part of a ne- the next batch then. But yeah, he always does that. So there- it's interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't, I don't remember that unless. Yeah, I can't. Unless the Lost World stayed in theaters long enough that, <laughs> you know, they were you advertising I think it. I think it's a memory that I created because I do remember kind of like alluding to what Phil said learning that the same guy directed Lost World and is directing Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. I think that was when mm-hmm. I really started to understand like who Steven Spielberg was. Mm. Um as opposed to just like a recognizable name as like, you know, the dude who directed uh Dress. I don't even know if I was really into Jaws at that point. I'm, I still might have been yeah. too young for Jaws. To me, I knew who Steven Spielberg was because of Tiny Toon Adventures, because he would like pop up in there, wow. and it would be like it's literally called Steven Spielberg presents Tiny Toon Adventures. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's how I, I, I knew who he was. I'm fairly certain that I did see this in theaters, but my most vivid memories are living with this movie at home on VHS with the holographic like videotape. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I the remember palm trees and the all I, that. Uh, I remember greenery. that summer, my grandma taking me to a bunch of Burger Kings to find the Raptor watch. Oh, dude, oh what? wow! No I way. wanted that Raptor watch so bad. Oh, wow, Burger King. It's like it was like made out of Raptor skin, and it had like the holographic Raptor eye as yeah. like the face of the watch. Hell yeah! Um, I got it though, <laughs> so you know. Um, I mean. It- that's I wore the, that thing it. for that's probably like two years. <laughs> I'm like twelve. Um, I mean, look, it's better than my brother who actually wanted these like holographic looking um, shoes that he always wanted, yeah. and they had like a little holographic. When you move it around, there's like a guy throwing a bat, like doing a slam dunk, and he wanted that forever. Like he's been begging our parents to get that. He buys it. Doesn't wear them because he doesn't want to wear them down and then grows out of them after like two weeks. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Bummer. (laughs) Um, No, what's funny, though, Nick, was that inadvertently you gave me a crazy memory because the way you were like, yeah, I was walking down the hallway and I I suddenly got this memory, this like lost memory (laughs) of a lost world stand it like stand up like like cardboard stand cut out or whatever mm-hmm. but it was it was fully three-dimensional and it was like i remember it being like a tunnel like trees and stuff and then there was <gasps> like yes. a raptor on the left and a t-rex on the right and little chompies like down on the ground and you walked through it and i was like this is going to be the coolest movie of all time dude i remember <laughs> that too yes wow, yeah man. yes 
Oh, um, yeah. So they have some start. good standees. Yeah, mm-hmm. the standees, they have some quality well, yeah, standees. Because like a bunch of theaters, they don't even want the standees anymore. They're just like they're like no, it's very sad. We don't, we don't. I remember ArcLight was like adamant about like no, like if you get standees, really? you throw them out because we're not, we don't put those up in our, in our lobby. So standees and lobby cards, they're they're out no yeah. more. I know. I love those. I know. What Not are the employees good. going to steal and take back to their apartments? <laughs> well, they would still do that. They would be like, "Oh yeah, I'll throw it out," and then they would throw it out into the. <laughs> I car. know. Friend um, of mine who <laughs> friend of mine who worked at the cinema once gave me some standees from Coraline and some other movies that I liked, which oh, is great. Cool. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um. For me, this was the first movie that I remember, like actively anticipating. Um, wow. I can't remember a movie before this. Like it well, the, really it was like 97, 1997 was like the year yeah. that I was anticipating stuff. Like that was when I was first like, mm-hmm. "Oh, okay." Because I had Scream 2 came out this year, right? And as we talked about, I was like following that really closely. <laughs> um the Star Wars special editions came out January, February, March of this year, mm. which was big, 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 big for me because at this point I lived in a um, in a neighborhood where if I rode my bike to the other side of the neighborhood, there was a fence that went into an apartment complex where my grandmother lived. And I would take my bike, I would throw it over the fence, climb under a hole in the fence, take my bike to my grandma's, and then walk to the movie theater that was a block away from my grandma's. And that's how I would go see movies by myself constantly over the course of 1997. 1997 was a huge year for me for movies um, uh, because it was like the first time that I was like seeing movies by myself. And so I saw the, the star Wars special editions all like multiple times by myself because I was like, well, it's yeah, it's the special editions. And like, I'm not going to pretend that like I was like, didn't like the special editions at the time. I was a kid. I I didn't know know at the time. Yeah. I mean, it was your only way to see them in theaters. Totally. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. And so that's how I was treating it. Whereas, like, my dad saw the first one and was like, oh, I'm not going to bother with the other ones. And I'm like, are you crazy? Um, yeah. And so, like, I, I saw all of them multiple times in theaters. Uh, and then I remember seeing this multiple times in theaters. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I was highly anticipating this. I remember going, because I would go to, whenever my, my parents would go to the mall, I would make a beeline to either uh to either Suncoast Video or Walden Books. Those are the two places that you could find me at the mall. Um and, <laughs> nice. and sometimes I do a lap through the arcade, but I wasn't I never had any money, so I would just like look at the cool games and then leave. Um but uh most Brood of the time bit. so I would go to Suncoast <laughs> Video and I would look at everything, but it, that was not a place where you could like hang out and eventually like people would be like, "Do you need anything? Can I help you?" Mm. because they thought you were like shoplifting or something. Whereas, like, you could go to Walden Books and you could read an entire novel over the course of the day and they just don't yeah. give a shit. They never yeah. did. It was awesome. So I went to Walden Books and they had a display. This was 1995. I was 10 years old and they had a display for Michael Crichton's The Lost World. And it was like the sequel to Jurassic Park. And I was like, they made a sequel to Jurassic <laughs> Park? And so I begged my dad to buy this book and he's like you didn't even read the first book i was like i saw the movie i don't need to i i can just read this book so like 
I didn't read Jurassic Park for years. I was like in my 20s by the time I actually read the first Jurassic Park. The Lost World, my dad bought for me at Walden Books that day. I was reading it. I remember specifically, I have memories of waiting for the bus every morning and reading The Lost World on the bus, waiting for the bus every chance I got at school, reading The Lost World. Um, I, I, I was ravenous for this. And I also remember The Lost World being the first thing that I'd ever been disappointed by. <laughs> Um, Whoa. And, and it's because, like, I remember I talked about this last week. Jurassic Park, it wasn't just the dinosaurs that I was excited about. It was the theme park stuff. And the Lost World doesn't have any theme park stuff. There's nothing about theme parks in that novel. Um, and so it was just like dinosaurs on an island. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Um, and it was like not what I was like excited about. And mm -hmm. I kept waiting for the other shooter drop of like, well, like, I mean, you're not going to make a sequel to Jurassic Park and not have a theme park in it. Right. And I just kept <laughs> waiting for that to happen. And it just never did. Um, so I was like pretty disappointed by it. Uh, and I, and you know, I, I wasn't sure who Dotson was because like he's only in the one scene in the movie, you know, um, in Jurassic Park. And yeah, there's the whole biosyn thing that's in the book um which they they simplify in the film um by just making it a rival in-gen team instead of Dotson and Biosyn um but I was like pretty disappointed with it honestly and then you know I saw the movie and I was like okay I mean you know they simplified some things they made two kids uh into one kid and made it you know Ian's daughter um and and I you know but I was like yeah I mean this is basically the book that I read, except for the ending, which was like fun, right? With <laughs> San Diego and everything. But I remember being very disappointed by the book, still being excited by the movie, because by the time I finished the book, they had announced that Steven Spielberg was directing the sequel. So I was like, okay, Stevie Baby's not going to let me down. Like, Stevie Baby's going to come in. Stevie Baby. He's going to make a sequel to Jurassic Park, and it's going to be awesome. Um, and then watching the movie, I remember being like, well, okay. I mean, you know, it had cool parts, but like, whatever. And <laughs> honestly, that's still kind of how I feel about the movie. Um, yeah. Which is just sort of like, yeah, all right. It, like, it has really good parts, but it's interesting as I'll go into the background in it, of it, um, there are reasons for the way it is the way it is, um, mm. which is, I find interesting. Because the thing that's interesting to me about The Lost World is that it is an adaptation to a sequel that is a sequel to the book Jurassic Park, not the movie Jurassic Park. So they're like two steps removed from the original intent, right? Yeah. Of, you know, because they're making an adaptation of they're making an adaptation of a book that is not a sequel to their movie, but they also are making a sequel to the movie they did make. So it's this mm. weird adaptation process um, in terms of like what it could be. Um, but like, yeah, you guys, do you, Nick, did you like Lost World when you saw it when it was? Oh, I mean, you know, in, in, in I mean, I watched it so many times Yeah, and it, you know, watching it this morning, I realized that, I mean, I mean, I, 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 it, it, I, I really loved watching it this morning, but I also realized how many sequences and moments are ingrained in my 
not only my 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 cognitive or you know my subconscious brain but my storytelling brain yeah where i was like oh i wrote a whole script that was just me trying to do this one moment oh. that i i i've just been trying to make the lost world this whole time sure. sure so so i guess i didn't think of it as like one of my favorite movies the way i do like you know batman or lion king you know when i was growing up yeah but i'm like whoa i i think i did watch this like you know, 20, 30 times and just like kind of taught me how to even what to like about a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think, I think too, I mean, you know, that's what happens when you have Steven Spielberg directing the movie. Even if the movie isn't a slam dunk, there's going to, mm. there are going to be sequences in it that are just like some of the best shit you've yeah. ever seen. You know, <laughs> it, it's, it's funny you say slam dunk, Scott, because I had thought of like, it's like watching this as opposed to watching something like Jurassic Park is like, you know, in the 90s, you would go to see Michael Jordan. There's a difference between him playing for, like, the title and, like, the finals yeah. versus him just, like, you know what? Today I'm going to fuck around and be really good at my job. Yeah. Which I think is this movie. is it's There's such a sense of fun to it, and there are so many fun sequences that I think it allots for, like, how it kind of is lacking that sense of wonder of Jurassic Park mm-hmm. and also the kind of sense of uh, dynamic like momentum that Jurassic Park has. Yes. It's definitely lacking momentum. And I think that's the like narrative momentum. And I think that's the, the main element that Jurassic Park has that the lost world does not. I think, um, Phil, do you have any, any thoughts on that? I was gonna like, I'm just quiet because (laughs) Nick, you said exactly how my feelings were exact, like with the movie as well, especially when I was a kid too, is the same thing. It was like, I watched it so many times and then subconsciously I would mimic certain parts of the movie mm-hmm. in different little short movies that I made when I was younger and didn't know. Yeah. And it's like, right. it's just the, it's just the a expertly made movie that I totally agree with you. Just had some kind of, it wasn't as how you said, like it just didn't have that focus that Jurassic Park had. Yeah. But it was, it's still, it's still really nice to watch. Like I enjoyed watching it. Once again, after after not seeing it for like five or six years, yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. You, you know, it's <laughs> not like often, it. especially these days in, in 2022, that you watch a sequel to a big, huge movie like Jurassic Park yeah. that is as unambitious as Lost World is. Yeah, I guess so. It's not um, really trying. It's just kind of like I just had this fun story idea, and here's some fun set, set pieces. Have a fun summer, everybody. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, I mean, it does feel like that, but at the same time, something. I really love the direction they went in, though. Mm, like, yeah. I mm. do love, like, the fact that it's called the Lost World. Arthur Conan Doyle reference the fact that it's an island with these dinosaurs. It's the implications, the ramifications of what happened before, that could be dealt with, you know. And I think that that's. Something that I think that's one of the things that first made me think like, I mean, it's a sequel, but Alan Grant's not in it. And it has a different main character. Like, I, you know, Ian Malcolm for me was always like the B man to Alan Grant being the A man. And but he has his own like it's continuing with him. It's not like an Indiana Jones thing, you know, where it's character centric. It's situation centric. And I well, it's funny that you bring up Indiana Jones because Spielberg 
references the fact that the Lost World is the only sequel he's ever yeah, directed. Yeah, the only sequel he's made. Yeah. Um, and the reason that he says that is because he's like Indiana Jones is a is a story. It's a serial story. Serial. It's a different. Yeah. It's not a sequel. It's a different. Mm. It's a whole other mode. It's a totally different thing. This is a continuation of the story in Jurassic Park. This is a sequel in the truest sense of the word. Um, and he's like, it's the only movie like that that I've ever made. Um, so, so going back, like going back to the success of Jurassic Park, um, in, in 1993. So like Steven Spielberg is shooting Jurassic Park and he's like, I got a really good feeling about this. I think this movie is going to be great. If you were to make a sequel to this movie, it could only be about one thing. The Barbasol, the Barbasol can, the Barbasol hey. canister. So he shoots that scene where, uh, where, where Nedry drops the Barbasol can, it falls into the mud and gets covered in the mud. He shoots that as a setup for the inevitable sequel. He's like, if it's going to be right. a sequel, it's going to be about this. And I want to set it up for whether I come back or I pass the baton to someone else. I want it to be there so that we don't have a Jaws situation where they just keep making the same movie over and over again. I want to give something to some to whoever directs the next one. You hmm. laughed, Nick. What was what are you... no? There's. I'm trying to find out how to communicate. There's something really funny about how he went out of his way to shoot a setup to a sequel in '93. Yeah, when that was pretty not not the norm yet. And then he goes on to make a sequel where not only does he not address that setup. Yeah, he pulls a whole island out of his butt. <laughs> sure, <laughs> that they never mention or refer to once in the whole tour or the whole movie. No, they do mention it. They don't mention oh, it by do? name. Yeah, they don't mention okay. it by name. But Psych like, beat. literally, the raptor is coming into the containment center at the beginning from Isla Sonar, where it was. That's I right. That's yeah. Got it. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. So it's like it's set up, but it's not like. It's, they don't put it, a hat on it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not. Yeah, they don't. They don't. They don't put too much detail into it. Yeah. But it is okay. there if you if criticism revoked. Yeah. Um. But so there. So so that happens, right? And the movie becomes a huge hit, and Universal is like, okay, we want a sequel. So let's get Michael Crichton. Let's get David Kep, and let's get Steven Spielberg in a room together, and let's figure out a sequel. Now, Michael Crichton was like, I, what, 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 what sequel? Like, there is no sequel. Like, that's the end of the story. There's nothing else to say, right? Like, that's, that's it. I don't want to do another movie or another book. I don't want to write another book. I just, it, we're done. That's it. Um, and Steven Spielberg was like, okay, but what about the Barbasol canister? Like, we had that set up. We could pay that off. We could all make a whole movie about how the Barbasol canister. The, the, the Biosyn team go back to the island to find the Barbasol can and, you know, a group of characters from the first movie have to go back to the island to stop them and make sure that they don't leave the island with, with the Barbasol can. <laughs> and, and, you know, you've got Jurassic Park in a state of, mm. you know, deterioration and you've got the dinosaurs are all you know, living free. And Michael Crichton's like, how could they be out and about? They have a lysine deficiency. Like they, they, they wouldn't be alive anymore because that's, that's why I wrote it that way. And the book <laughs> is over and the dinosaurs are dead, extinct again. End of story. Uh, and so but my God, they're flourishing. Yeah. So, so it was, 
it was like Michael Crichton was adamant that there is no sequel to Jurassic Park. Um, eventually, he came up with an idea because basically what happened was he was reading up on Arthur Conan Doyle because I guess he was just like, you know how you get a kick, just get on a kick with certain authors, sure. right? <laughs> he just got on a kick with Arthur Conan Doyle and read Arthur, Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, The Lost World, the book. Um, and he was like, oh, they, I had always talked about in the book that there's a second island. What if on that island they had like evolved past the lysine deficiency, like they had evolved past the, um, the, the reproduction problem? Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, things happen. And so, you know, so he's like, okay, I have an idea for a book. And he decided that like, I want all new characters, except I have to bring back Ian Malcolm because he is sort of the ironic commentator on everything. And so he needs an ironic commentator and he needed it to be Ian Malcolm for some reason and not a new character. Um, and the other reason that he brought back Ian Malcolm was like, it's a secondary ode to Arthur Conan Doyle who famously killed off Sherlock Holmes just to bring him back in a future novel. Oh, and so oh, it's like a okay. secondary ode where he's like, look, if I'm going to rip off Arthur Conan Doyle, then I should at least like pay extra homage so that people maybe like, don't just think it's a rip off. It's more of an homage. So, wow. so Ian, despite Ian Malcolm being dead in Jurassic park, he's That's alive again say. in the lost world novel because of the Arthur Conan Doyle connection. I never knew that. And I, and I, pour through all of these things and I've, i didn't even think of that. that's <laughs> that's interesting yeah it's a very interesting connection um so so yeah um what was interesting though was that like the he had a deal michael Crichton did have a deal in his contract where a sequel to jurassic park was dependent on there being a michael Crichton novel um and because and he wrote that into his contract because he didn't want them to make a sequel to jurassic park he was just like, I don't want you to. So the only way you're going to is if I write a sequel novel and I'm never going to write a sequel no novel. So you fuckers are fucked. Um, and, and so but then, you know, he ended up writing a sequel um, and he yeah, writes him, Lost World. Who knows how much money? Yeah. So he ends up, he writes this novel. It is released. He, he, he mentions in 1994 that he's writing it. Early 1995, he's like, it's done. And it's going to come out in like three months. <laughs> wow. So the, mo the book that we got, the Lost World novel, is essentially a first draft. I mean, it's not, Oy. it's not a first draft because, you know, obviously the editor is going to like, you know, tweak things and fix things. But like, he did not write multiple drafts of this novel. It was a one and done. Um, and, you know, the, the, the secondary drafts were like, maybe you could tighten this section up a little bit or like, you know, change some wording and, you know, typos and that sort of thing. That's it. Um, very, very light touches on this novel. And what we get in stores in September of 1995 is essentially a first draft of a sequel to Jurassic Park. Um, so Scott, it's, do you happen to know how, how was it critically received? Do you know if people liked it? Uh, it was a mixed bag, not quite as mixed a bag as the movie was. Um, mm. but, it was a mixed bag, though a lot of the reviews were basically like, 
yeah, no. And then he made a sequel to Jurassic Park. And uh, will you look at that? Uh, you know, Jeff Goldblum's back from the dead. And uh, and and it seems like yeah. it's basically like screen ready. Like it's got action sequences. It's, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, this yeah, thing. Right, so, yeah. they, you know, they were like criticizing right. it in the way of like, of this course. is obviously just a cash in. And it, he just, it doesn't come off as a they didn't catch the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle reference. <laughs> no, 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 they did not. <laughs> Somehow no one caught that. Um, <laughs> um, so the novel's out and, uh, you know, they're like, okay, we're going to make this movie. But Spielberg during this time had started DreamWorks and he was like, I'm busy. I can't direct this. I'm going to have to produce it. Um, you know, he was I'm on. Yes. Yeah. He was on his break after Schindler's List. Yes. So he did Jurassic Park and Schindler's List back to back. Schindler's Mm -hmm. List comes out, you know, wins Best Picture, the whole deal. And then he goes on a break and goes and starts DreamWorks during this break period of, of, you know, not doing any creative projects. And he's like, I'll produce it. We'll bring in another director. I wish I could direct it myself, but like, I just don't have the time. Uh Joe Johnson is who comes in to direct The Lost World. Now, I'll be honest. I love Steven Spielberg. I think this movie would have been better served directed by Joe Johnson. Um, it just, mm. I can picture his sort of inv- sense of adventure that he would be having with this more you so know, than, than Steven Spielberg for other reasons that I'll get into um, a little okay. bit later. But I really think this movie, the story of this film would have been better served with Joe Johnson as director. What were you going to say, Nick? That makes me think, because, you know, th- I think of this movie, especially after watching it today, as Spielberg's King Kong. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Spielberg doing an RKO, like Ray Harryhausen movie. Yeah. And so now I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, imagine Joe Johnston directing a King Kong movie. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Um, and I do think that as a result of him not directing this, Jurassic Park 3 ends up just sort of being a warmed over Lost World. Um, mm. and I think that's Ugh. the mistake with Jurassic Park three, uh, as we'll get into, you know, next week, but Joe Johnson is like, I'm ready to, you know, <laughs> tap me in captain. I'm ready to, I'm ready to direct <laughs> yeah. this thing. And then the book comes out. It's a huge hit. And Spielberg is like, you know, maybe I got time after all, you know, he had a few pots, you know, a few irons in the fire at DreamWorks, but none of them were like going yet. And so he's like, I've got time. Let's do this thing. So he signs on uh, the movie. The book comes out in in September of 95 and he signs on as director in uh, November of 95. Um, So he signs on as director. He's going to direct this thing. Um, The, the thing that's interesting about this. So like the adaptation works, basically Spielberg and Crichton forego their fees completely. Um, for this movie and instead wow. get back end points um, on the movie's release, <laughs> which ended up being very, very lucrative um, for them. David Kep, however, he ended up getting paid $2 million for writing The Lost World, which at the time was the most lucrative deal for an adaptation ever. Mm. for a screenwriter because typically adaptations you're paid less because you have a you're not creating the story whole cloth you're adapting it from something Mm. and so they 
you know, Hollywood thinks like, well, that's not as much work, so we're not going to pay you as much. So the right. idea of paying right. someone $2 million for an adaptation was unheard of at the time, but David Kep got it. Um, and the thing that Steven Spielberg was the most interested in with the, with the novel was like, I don't like a lot of this, but I like the setup of this because I think there's an interesting theme here about herbivores versus carnivores or in the case of the humans, researchers, gatherers versus hunters um, in terms of like the other in-gen research team. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's like, I think there's something interesting there. I don't know that he ends up actually doing anything interesting with that, but I could see why he was like, oh yeah, herbivores, carnivores, dinosaurs, humans, there's there's gotta be something interesting there, but I don't think there really was. Um, As much as like, it sounds interesting in theory. Um, so the adaptation only retained a handful of the ideas and the basic premise, uh, Biosyn and Dotson were written out in fair, in favor of the second engine team and, uh, Hammond's nephew, uh, Lord Weaselton. Yes. Uh, indeed. Um, originally the movie ended with a sequence where, um, they hang glide to, uh, a helicopter pad and are attacked by um pteranodons and then get in the helicopter and the pteranodons are like picking out people out of the helicopter and stuff and then their dinosaur um expert that was like on set for this was like and and during the the pre-production was like no no no, they wouldn't they wouldn't hunt like that they eat fish (laughs) and so they have to swoop (laughs) and pick up their prey they're not going to like just like snatch somebody out of the helicopter like it's not how they would (laughs) operate That's they would, they would pick works. up some random poor human, regardless of who it was. Correct. Fly them really, really high up into really the air. Really high up, yes. Drop hey, hey. <laughs> drop them hey, into the water. Hey, yes. I will say that this movie is just as mean as that movie. So, oh, no, no. I was justifying. Ooh, I was yeah. justifying Jurassic World. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You're, describing, you're describing what happens in that movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, That's totally. how they hunt? Okay, cool. Uh, we'll write that down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, this and movie, you're right, though. That's a really yeah. Please, this is this movie is just as mean as Jurassic World is to its humans, killing perfectly fine humans for no reason. Like when Toby bites it, like that sucks. Eddie's death is horrific, and that character mm-hmm. did not deserve that death. It uh, this movie opens with uh, you think you uh, a little. I'm, I'm girl not gonna. Getting... We're not gonna make this. We're not gonna make this podcast any longer. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna hold my tongue. I'm gonna listen to you guys talk about Jurassic World because I've been hearing a lot about Scott. <laughs> you just talking oh, okay. about how great Jurassic World yeah. is, and um, <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I'm one of those. I'm one of those non-believers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but most uh, people are, to be fair. <laughs> you bring up something. Something I do want to bring uh, that was interesting watching this is I think this is kind of like the most like of that mean like pre temple of doom Spielberg where like he did have that kind of, like you said, like the kind of nastiness Mm -hmm. of like that create that gleeful violence that he kind of grew out of in the wake of doing like Schindler's list and stuff like that. And so seeing him like Amistad and so seeing him kind of like return to this kind of a lark of a movie. Yeah. And let loose. It's fun to see because I can't even think of it coming back again after this. No, not really. No. Um, so, well, I guess, I don't know. War of the Worlds has moments of meanness. Um, and I always it's like a somber meanness. Yeah. But then I also think of like Minority Report as a kind of mean movie. 
It's a it's a right. pretty cynical movie, which is not his mm-hmm. vibe typically. Um, but anyway, there's a lot of interesting things 2000s. to be said about about the 2000 <laughs> Spielberg movies. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, so so the Pteranodons were cut because yeah, you know the scientist was like no no no, uh, uh-huh. and uh, they were like okay, what are we gonna do about the end of our movie then? Because that was the end of the movie was like them leaving the island, and Steven Spielberg was like you know that is like exactly what we did in the first movie is like they're leaving in a helicopter and they just get away scot-free and like then the movie ends we should do something different with this one what if a dinosaur makes it back to the mainland and they're they're like steve steven we're shooting in three weeks (laughs) and he's like i don't know i just think it would be too fun not to do that and he's like, I know we had talked about like maybe that would be what a third film would be about, but like I'm probably not going to direct the third film, and I want to direct that. So let's put it into this one. So three weeks before filming, they add the entire San Diego sequence into the script. David Kep writing on the fly. the The script ends up they do an, he does like nine drafts total, right, on this script when it's all said and done, and that entire sequence, every extra in that sequence that doesn't have a line is a crew member because they couldn't afford to get extras um, to like bring in extras for that. So like when there's people running through the streets and stuff, those are all production crew and like second unit crew and stuff like that. All just like running through shots and everything um, oh, that's and populating all of it because they're like, we have to save money somewhere. The guy, the, the, when, when the guy is like running into the store and then the T-Rex grabs him from behind and like drags him down the street. That's literally David Kep. Um, so, <laughs> so like it, they just like pulled out all the stops to make it happen. Kathleen Kennedy found the money that by doing it that way, um, and made that sequence happen, but it was an uphill battle to get it done. Um, but they did. And they had the to movie. renegotiate the T-Rex's contract. <laughs> yeah, totally. Cause he's going to be on screen more. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so what's interesting too, is that um, it's also the reason why a bunch of characters just disappear during that sequence. Right. So like, oh, so yeah. like that's why okay. Vince Vaughn isn't in the third act. That's why um, Hunter dude isn't in the third act. Yeah. Roland. Yeah. yeah. All, they, they don't, they're not in the third act because they're, they were like, I David Kep was like, there's only so much I can do here, man. Like they they already got to go shoot <laughs> yeah. other things. Like you know, it it's it's a problem. So it's why it's a little it's the third act is a little dodgy from like a structural standpoint in that it, way. It is stapled to the rest of the movie. Yes, it really is. Sure, sure, it is. Definitely feels that way. But young me from 1997 was so happy. It's the most that. exciting part of the whole movie. I will say, like all that being said. Taken in a vacuum, it absolutely rules. And you get, you know, the the set the the setup of the the baby T Rex, and then you use it again. You know, it, yeah, yeah, they found yeah, like yeah. David Kep. I think found a really cool way to like keep it as part of the whole, the best that he could. Sure. But you know, it yeah. still does absolutely feel pretty stapled on. Um, and it's, it's kind it's of like staple. you know, like Spielberg's superpower. One of his superpowers is he kind of like knows what the audience wants. Mm. without even communicating it and like yeah. i think he had a feeling of like everyone's going to want to see the t-rex in 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 our world and like yeah giving them that prize at the end because this was before there needed to be like five of everything and yeah yeah there's a go for brokenness of of that ending that feels fun yeah yeah absolutely i mean it's the same as the original jurassic park yeah where 
there's a the T-Rex there's a come back there's a mm-hmm. bit in the behind the scenes documentary where you just see Steven Spielberg and he's behind the he's you know in vi- video village watching playback of like stuff from the San Diego thing and he's like you know I it's it's like a Godzilla movie. Like when I was a kid, I always wanted to make a Godzilla movie, and now I'm I'm getting to do it. Like the kid in me is like finally getting to make the Godzilla movie. The adult in me is ashamed of himself, but it's fun. <laughs> like it's just, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and so, uh, so so another few more interesting things about about the movie. Um, number one, the movie was shot between September and December of 1996. Which means they wrapped shooting five months before it was released in theaters, which is bonkers. Yeah, incredible. I just, I can't. Uh, now, you know, like Guardians you got a whole Volume year. 3, right? Wrapped like yeah. two weeks ago. And that's not coming out until, you know, May, like literally a year after wrap, you know? Yep. Um, and yep. it's like, that's pretty normal for most movies now is about a year if there is any <laughs> visual effects it's like a year right i read this really interesting article about you know there's all, a, a few weeks ago months ago there were all of these shifting release dates for a bunch of big tentpole movies especially like dc tentpole movies mm-hmm. and a lot of people were wondering you know que pasa what's going on and this article was like you wouldn't believe the backlog that effects houses are facing like yeah. digital artists yeah because <sighs> so many movies like guardians are are the works of like really talented digital artists I mean, anyone who sat through the credits of dr strange can tell you and if you go to like lost world which is another type of wizardry you know mm-hmm. there wasn't as much like polish you needed to do because so much of it was in the camera or you sure. know comparatively mm-hmm. sure well but it's also this weird case of you know, good old capitalism rearing its ugly head. And I'm not just talking about the studios, which are its own problem, but even mm-hmm. in the visual effects houses themselves, they rather than allowing competition and allowing other visual house, uh, vi- visual effects houses mm-hmm. to open, they are just expanding and lowering their value. Um, so mm-hmm. they're like, I will outbid my competition and be cheaper yeah. than them. And overwork all my people and then just expand how many people are at our place. And then all of the effects are going to get worse and worse and worse until we can't Mm -hmm. get work anymore. And then, you know, who knows? But like, it's a mess. It's the whole post-production side of movie making right now is an absolute disaster. Um, Just oversaturated itself. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Because it's crazy because, you know, even if I were like, you know, like even if like the three of us were like really good visual effects artists and we're like let's start our own visual effects company <laughs> we would not be able to outbid the big wigs no, so yeah. we would never get work and then we would end up having to work for one of them so therefore no other like visual effects there's like five visual effects houses you know mm-hmm. that are that are working and it's all just like different branches of the same because they just buy up the little guys um right, and then yeah, underpay them all and it's just right horrible <laughs> yeah i think that's i think that's NPC why NPC west NPC south you know right yeah right. moving you know the mo- you know moving picture company i was like a little bit surprised once i finally realized that like NPC right because they do a lot of visual effects and i'm just surprised that they have oh they have a place there 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 right. they have a place there 
yeah. they were placed there. And I'm just like, wait a second. I thought this was right. just like one, you know, group of people I remember making really good I stuff. I used to be <laughs> so excited about Weta. And it was like, yeah, oh man, yeah. when Weta's on a thing, you know it's going to be good. And then it was like, Weta's doing Venom. And I'm like, well, Venom doesn't look good. And I just realized like Weta has now become so big that like, yeah. you know, unless it's the, unless it's the core team who were doing like the Planet of the Apes movies, right? It doesn't matter if what is doing it because they're not any different than any other visual effects house anymore. They've lost what makes them special because everyone wanted to hire them and they were like, well, then we need more people and we need to expand, which means that we have to like kind of let our, 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 our talent go down because there's only so much high end talent. We just need bodies filling seats, clicking mouse you know clicking mouses yeah um and it just it becomes they've just become like everybody else now it's it's a bummer i mean that's just the way it is yeah unfortunately i think that's why so many people were inspired earlier this year by uh everything everywhere all at once yeah and i gotta see that 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 effects team was like less than a dozen people oh yeah and it was like this is possible you can make something that isn't and you know that movie was very specific but like yeah it's like an anecdote to what you know the depression the, the kind of depressing state of affairs that 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 you two were you know very yeah. accurately laying out yeah absolutely um so totes so uh cap as part of his deal to get the two million dollars he was also the second unit director on the lost world um spielberg and this is part of a larger problem which i'm going to end my whole story with spielberg was often distracted by family stuff and would leave a lot. And David Kep would become the first unit director. So there are um, eight days in which he is officially the first unit director on this film. Um, Directed eight days of production on The Lost World. And then as second unit, he was directing stuff that typically first unit would direct go ahead nick uh, you, uh your mixer is going right now okay. on my end it's a bit shh like that better yes it's great okay let me know if it happens again cuckoo uh where did it start doing that what was i talking about I would say maybe like five seconds ago. Um, it's like, okay. Uh, it's the eight days. Okay, so I'll start. So so David Kep, uh shot as first unit director, um, basically as the Spielberg of this movie for eight days of, you know, main unit principal photography. Um, as second unit director, he also directed a bunch of stuff that you wouldn't normally associate with a second unit director. Um, it was like, if any of the stars weren't in the scene, he directed that. Uh, so the hmm. opening entire opening sequence with the copies attacking the little girl, that was David Kep that directed that, not Steven Spielberg. Um, really? Yeah. So there is a lot of this movie that David Kep directed. I think all in, it ended up being about 30% of the movie is David wow. Kep's film. Um, not Steven Spielberg's, which is also why I think it has a weird vibe to it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't feel as sharp as Jurassic Park because David Kep, we've seen other things that he's directed. He's not a great director. 
you know, he's serviceable, but he's not special in the way that Spielberg is special. Um, so, so that's happening. Also, uh, you know, Spielberg went to Dean Cundy and was like, Hey, Dean, come on back. Let's, let's, let's do this thing together. He you did. Know, we did, we did Jurassic Park together. Let's do Lost World. And Dean Cundy was like, no, I am directing my first film. It's oh, wow. called Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Uh, it's oh. going to be my directorial debut. It's going to be released in theaters. Um, you know, and so I, I, I just, I can't, I can't. Now, the whole story of Honey, I Shrunk Ourselves is a whole other can of worms. Um, and it's all Jeffrey Katzenberg's fault. But um, <laughs> a lot of things are. Yeah, it's it's it. a nightmare story. Um, and I and he has never directed another film since. So it is very unfortunate. In fact, after Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, Dean Cundy sort of disappears and becomes a TV director of photography and like really never works in films that anyone has ever heard of ever again. Um, it sort of killed his career, oh. which is, you know, coming from the, the director of photography who went from all of early John Carpenter stuff to uh, James Cameron stuff, right? James Cameron? No, not James Cameron. Who am I thinking of? Uh, well, you know, Bobby Z. Oh, yeah, right. Bobby Z, yeah. right. So Back he went from future. Carpenter to Zemeckis to Spielberg, directed a movie that ended up being direct-to-video, and then his career was over. That's pretty solid, by the way. I'm a fan of Honey, <laughs> I Shrunk Ourselves. It wouldn't so i look i looked i did a lot of inadvertent research into we honey i shrunk we shrunk ourselves um yeah. but basically it was a 40 million dollar movie that was meant to be released in theaters in christmas of 1996 and jeffrey katzenberg was like uh nah we got this new disney home video thing we did like return yeah. of jafar all this stuff it's really popular i want to experiment Great. and have a live cool. action sequel do the same thing as the return of the Jafar stuff. Mm -hmm. So here's all the money I have in my wallet. So here's $7 yeah, million dollars, and you're going to make this with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Oh yeah. no. I've, I haven't seen that movie since 1997 and or whatever. $7 million. I believe two of which went to Rick Moranis. Wow. <laughs> So I believe the actual production budget of Honey We Shrunk Ourselves was about five million dollars. There was a well, there was once a huge party that was supposed to be at it, and it turned into a sleepover to save money. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So wow. real, just nightmare situation. And Dean Cundy, God bless him. He 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 went through with it. He did his best, but like he did. Woof. Um. So and, anyway, and now we don't even now we can't even do a Honey I Shrunk the series on franchiseography because that one didn't come out in theaters that's true you're right we have I, shrunk I coming like, out oh, so oh there's josh the reboot Gad. yeah with josh gad um is it yeah didn't hear that yeah one. so there's there's that joe johnson's directing it he's back oh wow. he's back yeah Whoa. so yeah so it might be worth it i don't know we'll see yeah um yeah. but in any event uh janice kaminsky from schindler's list came in and deep yeah, this um sort of became yeah. Spielberg's like de facto DP after this. Um, yeah. And uh, he made the movie look really different, I think. I think it looks a lot different yes. from Jurassic Park. As a and kid. And I love it. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> as a kid, there was always like, I never thought of these movies as related. Mm. Um, I was like, you know, oh, I watched these for very different reasons. And watching 
Lost World this morning. I'm like, oh my God, my brain was recognizing the difference between Janusz Kaminski and Dean Cundy. Yeah. When, mm. I, when I think of Janusz Kaminski, I think of beautiful white light bathing through like a window and hitting an actor. Uh-huh. And so- Exactly what I'm thinking so, as well. So those early scenes with like John Hammond in his bed. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, that, that, that's what it is. But I love yeah, the yeah. idea of him directing uh, a gymnastics routine that results in uh, Raptor getting kicked in the face. Yeah. I find that. Yeah. I think it's so yeah. funny that he also <laughs> DP'd that. <laughs> And funny. <laughs> he made it look good. Yeah. He true. made it look good. So all of this background ends with the fact that Steven Spielberg, throughout shooting this, was feeling despondent by it. He did it because he was like, I'm excited. Like, I want to do a fun movie. You know, like, I've been bummed out since I made Schindler's List. And I want to make, uh, I want to go in. I want to make a fun movie. I want to have fun. I want to play with toys. You know, the whole deal. And so when he went into the movie, he was like, we're not doing animatics. We're not pre-visiting anything. I'm j- I just want to go in. I want to shoot what I want to shoot. I, wanna, I want you guys to figure it out in post. And they're like, okay, like if I, in the, on the day, if I want to shoot handheld, I want to shoot handheld. If I want to, you know, do this, I want to do that. If I want a truck, I want a truck. But like, I just want to figure it all out on the fly. And that's how I want to direct this movie because I think that's going to be the most fun for me right now. So they all agreed to it. But in retrospect, he looks at the movie and, you know, as they were making it, he was like, there has to be more to it than this, right? Like, I'm, I'm literally just like, we're spending all day shooting Julianne Moore in a log and there's a guy just like ramming sticks into like a log and, you know, I, I just... I'm older. Yeah, I just, he's just like, I don't know if I'm feeling this anymore. And so he would just, you know wander away for a few days and then David Kep would come in and then direct those days and then he'd wander back in when it was something he was more excited about but it was he was very lackadaisical with how he directed this movie um, because he wasn't into it he wasn't feeling it and he says that the main issue with it was that he came in too confident he was like I knocked Jurassic Park out of the park and it's going to be so easy for me to just show up and do it again and he was like i was wrong and i should have been more involved in the story we should have done the barbasol thing i still could have had my third act on on you know in san diego or whatever but like it was a mistake not you know going you know hog wild in the development of this movie and the story of this movie and the pre of this movie. He was like, there's sequences in this that I'm proud of, but overall he's like, I'm just disappointed in myself. Um, and if, you know, Steven Spielberg doesn't feel that way about a lot of his movies. It's like the ones that you hear him. Cause even hook, he was like, yeah, the people who don't like that movie, they didn't, it wasn't for them. It was for kids. And I hear every day that kids love it. And so, I made it for the correct audience and that audience loved that movie. So he doesn't have any issues with Hook, despite, you know, the critical backlash that it got at the time. But, right. but there's only really two movies in his entire filmography that he looks back on with disappointment. One is 1942 and the other one is The Lost World. Um, and I find that really interesting, uh, you know, considering... He's made a lot of movies. It's it's surprising, you know. 
Yeah. It's a lot more recent. So I don't know how candid he would be or what his perspective of it would be, but I'd be interested to hear his thoughts now on Ready Player One. Yeah. Mm. Because a, a, a lot of your, a, a lot of what you were reading about him, his mindset going into this uh, lost world reminded me of kind of like, I just want to make a movie. I just want to have fun. I don't want to think about a plot. I don't want to make, I want to make a film. I want to make a movie. Yeah. And like, then you get Ready Player One and you're like, yep, this is, that doesn't have a lot of plot. This is, <laughs> <laughs> and that movie isn't without its merits, but also yeah. kind of has momentum problems and stuff. Well, like that. but it also, it also at least yeah. has a game that it's hanging its structure on, you know? Right. So at least First you have egg. like, you have goal posts in ready player mm-hmm. one. This movie doesn't have any goal posts, um, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. And so it has like, like, yeah, it has like right. objectives. Mm-hmm. Like right now we're trying to find Sarah right, right now. We're trying to stop the bad yes. guys, but, but there's not a overarching objective. Mm-hmm. The way sure. in Jurassic Park is like, we got to get the fuck off this island, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not the objective here. I sort of, honestly, the first like 30 minutes of this movie, I sort of lose track of what I'm even, what the plot of this movie even is. Like what, what, what are they doing here? How did this happen? All of this stuff. It's, it's very heavy. And there's, there's this story that David Kep talks about where he was getting letters from kids who had read the Lost World book. And we're sending him letters to be like, this is what you got to do if you're going to adapt this right, which I think is <laughs> wow. the funniest shit. I was like, did <laughs> Phil write one of these letters? Um, and, <laughs> and so one of the letters was like, hey, you're going to do this. Get to the island as fast as possible because no one cares about all of this boring stuff at the beginning of this book. And he, so he had that letter framed next to his computer or word processor or whatever mm-hmm. he had in 1996. Yeah, He had that letter up to remind him to, like, just get to the island as fast as possible. Get to the dinosaurs as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that one of the problems with this movie is by condensing all of that material into the first, like, what is it, 15 minutes of this movie? It becomes so dense with exposition that mm-hmm. it, and it's not handled as elegantly as it's handled in Jurassic Park. And so I just am like, wait, what what's going on? What is this other island? Why are these other people <laughs> here? What's happening? Yeah. And they don't even explain what the other people are actually doing there until halfway through the movie. And then he finally mm-hmm. has like this presentation where he's like, see, we're going to build this stadium and we're going to have like it's going to be like a zoo. Um, right. I you know, it's yeah, really really frustrating <laughs> as for me as a viewer um especially coming right off of Jurassic Park which is just the cleanest like just leanest <laughs> story yeah. oh, it's so clean oh my god yeah. it is just ugh, a masterpiece of blockbuster cinema yeah, this one is very be, different you could be a shepherd in like the most northern part of like some port town you wander into like a, a deli and there's a TV and it's playing Jurassic Park. It's the first movie that person's ever seen. Yeah. And like they would, you know what I mean? Yeah. And with yeah, this, it's like, yeah. wait, why are we here? What's in <laughs> Jen? Yes. <In> yes. <laughs> why is Ian Malcolm? So why different? are there two teams? Oh yeah. I, I've been asking that, that, but then I remember asking that question. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't wait to get into the break. I'm ready to get into the, yeah, let's the get into it. Let's get into yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, we haven't, yeah. So we open on Ila Sorna, 87 miles southwest of Ila Nublar. 
um, a family of the 1% have beached out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They've got a table. They've got little hors d'oeuvres set up. Mm -hmm. Um, The father of which... Uh, uh, Zach Luna, uh, previous guest and future guest Zach Luna, would kill me if I didn't mention it. The yes. the father of of which is Ethan Rain from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Great, ah, so. knew I recognized him. Yep. <laughs> um, man. Well, now now I can say David Kep really uh directs the shit out of this opening scene. Um, it's good. I I like this. Feels like a real family. Like they don't feel too nice. Yeah. They feel the right amount of despondent because they're rich. Yeah, but like your empathy kicks in, and then you know there's that batshit transition that I've thought about yeah. since I was a kid. Of, it rules. Of, I yeah, love it. It's the most like I think chaotic is what the kids are saying now of like that Spielberg ever gets. Yeah. Of yeah, a mom letting out a blood curdling scream at we watching this for the first time can only assume is like the mutilated corpse of her adorable daughter played by Camilla Bell who would show up in. The When a Stranger Calls remake and the 10,000 BC movie. <laughs> 10,000 BC, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, she gets a really cool Spielberg close up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then yeah. we cut to, so like mom yawns, cut to Ian Malcolm yawn, or she screams, cut to Ian Malcolm yawning, yes. and the island backdrop. So for a second, you yes. kind of think that he's on the island. It's. I love it. I love it. I, I have such a. A, a specific memory seeing that in cinemas yeah. like I remember the film grain I remember the contrast I remember seeing it in the movie theater because I was fully expecting a dinosaur and then I got Ugh. yeah mm-hmm. Ian Malcolm yeah this is wonderful and, and, and it, I love that 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 um what, deceit it gives it this interesting like been there done that quality to it yes of, of just like yeah, yes, yeah absolutely little girl getting eaten by dinosaurs all right it's good. It's yeah, good. like it's kind of a punk statement for Spielberg to make, like as the cold open to the sequel to like the biggest hit of his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. and and we get uh, Ian Malcolm on a you know on some public transit on a subway on his way to visit uh, Doctor Hammond. Almost called him Hector Hammond. Oh <laughs> no, Hector. It's very different. <laughs> and and you're right, Scott. Even as a kid, I clocked that this is not the same Ian Malcolm that I loved watching in Jurassic Park. Um, well, as a kid, I remember thinking, like, they made him more like Independence Day, Jeff Goldblum. Yes, yes, because that because I was talking about this. I, I don't think I talked about this last week on the show. I was talking about this with, with my wife, Bethany, and Jurassic Park was the last time that, like, we had just straight-up sexy stud Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> then he does Independence Day, and that's the mode he's in until like now we have like elder statesman kind of sexy but weird elder Jeff Goldblum, right? Mm-hmm. But like there's a whole period there where he's just dad vibes mm-hmm. and, Cats and dogs, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it starts with oh yeah, it starts with uh, uh with Independence Day. And now watching it today as an adult, I can kind of appreciate it because it's like oh he didn't. Something died in him when that T-Rex flicked him into a hut and left him. You know, he is not the happy-go-lucky guy anymore. He is wearing that experience on his leather jacket the whole movie. Yeah. And it's affected the way he interacts with everything. So I can kind of appreciate it, but I am always going to miss, you know, snarling, horny Ian Malcolm. Yeah. (laughs) That that being said, I really... 
I, I also really don't like this whole opening plot line with him where okay. everyone like doesn't believe him. Like he wrote a oh, book okay. and now everyone like they, they like like uh, uh in gen like Order of the Phoenix Tim of like you know <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no. this dude yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This dude, this dude that that kind of like gives him crap in the subway is like, "Hey, I believe you." You know, I think he said believed most, you. I believe yeah, believed. You. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believed you, and you made me look like an asshole. I think is his vibe there, of like because so, like bullying him. <laughs> yeah, because he he goes to John Hammond's house. He he meets Lexi and Tim, which I always thought was really cool as a kid. But it's like, please. Those actors, so they're like, I know people complain about us only being in this one scene, and but they were both like, but I gotta say, this was us being in this one scene was Steven Spielberg's graduation gift to us because it paid for our college. Um, <laughs> he was like, he, there, he was like, it was amazing. That, yeah. It was two hours of work, and like everyone yeah. complained that we were barely in it, but like what they don't know was that Steven Spielberg was just like being like, hey. Go to college, you knuckleheads! Like <laughs> Grandpa it's like, Steve, it's so great. Grandpa I Steven. love that. It yeah. it put a whole yeah. new light on this scene for me, right? Because because you're right. I remember being like, oh no, because you know, a like like Phil said. I remember as a kid being like, "Where's Doctor Sadler? Where's Doctor Grant? You know, mm-hmm. where's Lex?" And now, kind of looking at this as like a saga that's about to end, which is kind of why we're doing this yeah. right now, is like, oh, cool! It's like a little epilogue for these two characters mm-hmm. to show like. They're okay. They survived. Mm-hmm. You know, they're and from, they got this like, the big old house. <laughs> they got this huge. They're so rich. And that's huge, <laughs> massive Spielberg, museum of a house. Spielberg could have easily a Lexi and Tim could have been like a photograph on John's desk, right? Or like easily recast, right? But it's those two, and it's fun. It's and like, um, man, I really like the shot of no one just shoots exposition scenes like. But like, because it also does remind me a lot of this movie reminds me of Indiana Jones. Yes, and and we'll get to that later. But like, when the little nephew, when the evil nephew comes down the stairs, and this huge exposition drop that f- sailed mm. like the ship in a New Hope over my head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. 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 <laughs> but very well put. If, if I'm remembering, cor- if I'm remembering correctly, uh, before even getting to the island. Sadler and Grant and Malcolm had to sign like an NDA. Yes. That mm. they wouldn't take anything that they experience or see on Ela Nubar public, no matter right. what. Right. And my understanding is everyone kept the NDA except Dr. Malcolm. Right. He wrote a book, but didn't keep yes. any of the profits of the book. Yes. So he's kind mm-hmm. of in destitute. <laughs> mm-hmm. And also they're suing him for within an inch of his life. Yes, and doing all of, using all of the powers that a huge multi-billion-dollar company has to discredit Ian Malcolm's name right. and his reputation. Right, right. And he and it, he even like Loki threatens Lexi and Tim, and it sucks. It sucks, and I yeah. hate it. I'm not into it. But I get that. Like they're like, okay, we need to like establish that this guy sucks, right? But the problem mm-hmm. is that kids aren't going to understand why this guy sucks. Because it's all, yeah. you know, super complicated and legal shit. Um, like, what do you mean? Like, why can't yeah. he write the book? Well, he was told to keep a secret. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> he's okay. an NDA. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, you, can't, you break a secret and it ruins your life? That's crazy. <laughs> I feel like, unfortunately. Unbelievable. Unfortunately, now, I think most kid, more kids would know what an NDA is. Probably. Because yeah. Of- yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, when I was a kid, when I was watching this, clearly I had, just like you said, mm. Nick, I had no idea what was going on, but I loved the, like, I just had a feeling of like, this is serious. This is adult stuff. It's probably really cool. Right. <laughs> that's what I, that's how I felt. Like it kind of triggered something in my brain where I was just like, mm, this must be like way more mature than Jurassic sure. Park because this is, because this feels like the adults are talking about something and it has to do with dinosaurs somehow. <laughs> and mm. and visually, you know, we see that, you yes. know, this guy is a stuffy British, you know, elite guy. Yeah, and right. Ian Malcolm's That's the it. like shaggy, likable. Yeah. Yeah. In in the end, yeah. Um, I do remember that I didn't need to know all the details. And honestly, like just watching it for this podcast, I finally listened to the entire scene. <laughs> yeah, me too. And now I understood what was going on. You know, like I was distracted by the other guy showing him like flipping the pages so he could sign the all the all the little documents in the foreground. That's what I was always distracted by. Right, yeah. But now, like I said, as a kid, I just had I could see just by the visual language that this guy bad, this guy good, mm-hmm. you know. So it uh, didn't really matter. Scott, do you think it would have been more interesting if we were just like living in a post Jurassic world? Oh, like the secrets out. Everyone knows the dinosaurs are real. I I think so, because it would give an excuse as to like why they're so adamant about getting back to the island to get oh, the Barbasol yeah. can, which I agree with Spielberg. Then- I think that should be the plot of this movie is like Biosyn has already built their park and it's going to open. But it doesn't have any dinosaurs in it. And they were like, we uh, have yeah. to go back to the island and find that Barbasol can. Luckily, we built a homing device in the Barbasol can so we can find it and get it. And, you know, uh, uh, Hammonds is like, we need our own team to go and get to it first. And that that's awesome. And listeners, I just want to say, just for the record, in case we haven't or we haven't mentioned it in this episode. As time of recording, we have not seen Jurassic World Dominion. Right. So yeah. like, we don't know how much of what Scott just said could very well be in like, you know, in the in the movie coming out. Yeah, that's very true. But the way that they shoot this guy, um, the nephew, is mm-hmm. it's very he shoots him very similarly to the way he would shoot characters like Dr. Bellick or uh Donovan from Last Crusade. Um For sure. he is very much shot in that like, oh, this guy's stuffy, a stuffy villain. Mm-hmm. Like, a villain that doesn't want to get his clothes dirty. Like, yes, the whole movie, he's shot that way. He feels like an Indiana Jones villain in, like, a really fun way. Um, mm-hmm. I just wish that a more interesting character actor had played the role, I think. Like, right. And he... Hmm. When he first comes out, his voice is so similar to Ray Fiennes. I was like, is that Ray Fiennes? And then the whole movie, I was like, <laughs> fuck, imagine Ray Fiennes <laughs> is this guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. That would have been yeah, good. They, uh, yeah. And, and this is a movie filled with some of our, our best character actors. Oh, yeah. That, that mm. we'll get to. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, Malcolm goes to visit John Hammond, who kind of gives like another kind of info dump recap of what's happened in the wake of Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Um, that there has been so uh, Ian learns about Ela Sorna mm-hmm. that that was like uh, John calls it the factory floor mm-hmm. where the dinosaurs were bred, and what John wants to do now is send a four person team to the island to create what he calls a living fossil record for right. the sake of education 
and science and discovery, right? As opposed to uh, commerce, or as as Malcolm puts it, you've gone from capitalist to naturalist. Yeah, I think this sucks. I think this is the most. <laughs> I think this is the most like bullshit reason to bring people back to the island. And I'm sorry, but if that's what you're gonna do, why the fuck do you need Ian Malcolm there? Um. Okay. Let, let, he likes him. I let's don't break know. it down. So the team is. Uh, Nick Van Owen, because he's a documentary filmmaker. Yes. And on the side, he's an environmental radical. Right. Um, and Which is really he, he just is... like thrown out there in the last, <laughs> the last reel. <laughs> I yeah. am fascinated by the character of Nick Van Owen. And we'll, we'll talk about it. I, um, yeah. I had no memory that he survived this movie. Right. <laughs> you know why? It's because he doesn't get a final scene. Right. No, he doesn't. Right. No. So you assume it's kind of that's exactly what happened with Pete Postlethwaite with yeah. Roland. Is yep. I was like, well, he has to look at him. He's going to get eaten by a dinosaur. Like, yeah, he's going to get eaten by a T Rex, the one that he wants to hunt so bad. It, they're going to teach him a you, lesson by getting him eaten you by a T Rex. You can smell it. Yeah, and it never happens. <laughs> it, it's so weird. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of happy it doesn't. happen. I kind of like it too. But well, well yeah, we'll, we'll get there when it. Um, it's so Eddie Carr, who is the equipment guy, he's going to provide all the equipment and tech and satellite phones and Toby from the West Wing. Toby, aka Toby from the West Wing, yeah. Um, and then Ian Malcolm because he has firsthand being chased by dinosaur experience, which, to be fair, <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess, in John's defense, has only happened to two other or four other people, yeah. on the planet. And so, <laughs> That's but true. yeah, it's weird. It's weird that Ian Malcolm is picked. I guess this is. I guess we could assume that Grant and Ellie just both said, like, "Leave, no, get out of my, get out of our house." Yeah. Um, Probably and and Julianne Moore, a, a, who is uh, uh, Sarah Harding, who is dating Ian Malcolm, and Sarah is a paleontologist. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So when Ian finds out that Sarah is already on Elasorna, he says, "John, you silly bastard! You're never going to learn. <laughs> Th- this is no longer an expedition; it's a rescue mission." And then they, the Jurassic Park theme starts blaring for some reason. Bum, yeah. bum, bum, uh, and he's he's off. Yeah, I hate it. I really, I really don't <laughs> like it at all. <laughs> I don't I, like. I don't like that Ian Malcolm is the character. Like I'm imagining this scene that is shot like one of those exposition dump scenes in an Indiana Jones movie, where it's like, "This is the mission that you're about to go on." Right? Mm-hmm. Here's a map. We're going to talk through it, you know, and we're going to move from one side of the room to another. And the scene is going to like dynamically shift halfway through very mm-hmm. Spielberg move. Right. Especially in the Indiana yeah. Jones movie. But you put Ian Malcolm in this and it just doesn't work the way that like if this was Sam Neill. Who, buddy, this would rock. This shit would. Rock. I mean, I could see that. Yeah, I, I okay, so I, I, I don't really have I definitely don't think I have a plot. Um excuse or like way to put like you know like uh to back this up but i think at least from a from a storytelling standpoint to me i think dr like alan's arc seems kind of complete at the end of jurassic park mm-hmm. where he's like oh kids are good but when when we get into <laughs> uh, <laughs> when we meet uh when we meet uh kelly ian's daughter and a lot of his baggage is stuff that he alluded to in the first movie that's true of, like I love I love mm. kids. I can't stop having them. I'm always looking for the next future Mrs. X Malcolm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we learn in this movie the ramifications of that, which is like a lot of these, a lot of his children are probably estranged to him. 
and he's not really close to anybody. So he kind of like, oh, my God, he kind of like is reverse engineered to be a really classic Spielberg protagonist. Yeah. Like an aloof deadbeat dad. Yeah. But I would argue the movie doesn't then do enough with that. Right. Right. It it stops after like half of the movie. There isn't much of that. And I think Uh, think the problem is there's like there's thematic resonance between him protecting Kelly and the T-Rexes protecting their baby so there's like thematic stuff but it's not it's very surface level it's not deep enough to actually like say anything you know um and so it's just like parents right and i'm like yeah i guess (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly yeah yeah parents they're parents Um, that's right i really this purely technical but i really like the one -er where we meet eddie for the first time and the camera's following eddie and ian malcolm as they're talking and then the van drives into the shot. Vince Vaughn gets out of the van. It's his. It's Nick Van Owen's intro shot. He opens mm-hmm. the trunk door. It's just like the cleanest shit. And but you're right. It's like Spielberg could probably just plan that out on a napkin. Right. There's a lot of wonderful wonders in this movie. I, there's a lot of really nice wide shots and really nice shots where people are just talking. And it's like that's what Spielberg does. He's like known to do that where it's like a wide and there's like a lot of different things happening at the same time but you still have a good sense of where you're supposed to be listening yeah. mm-hmm. can we talk and about then, vince right? vaughn for a second dude sure Ni- 90s vince vaughn is a trip it is so he is 26 mm-hmm. at, at the time of making this um and post swingers right well post shooting swingers but swingers okay. had not been released by the time they started shooting. So it gets released while they're shooting. I think they shoot him out and then he goes and starts doing press for swingers. Right. So he actually did get this movie on the merit of just being Vince Vaughn, of being an actor. Um, it wow. wasn't off of like the heat of swingers or anything. Cause no one had seen it yet. Right. Maybe uh, Spielberg saw Rudy. Oh yeah. That's very true. I guess maybe, <laughs> maybe something like that, but he was in Rudy. Yeah, he is. Um, but he's not like Rudy. You no, know? he's like one of the. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, he's in it. He's, he's, I've only he's, seen that movie he's once. Vincent Vaughn in that movie. Um, <laughs> uh, Vincent yes. Vaughn. Uh, but yeah, it night pre old school Vince Vaughn is so fascinating to me because no one knew what to do with him. Right. Eventually, I think they just found the easiest thing to do with him was like motor mouth comedian. That's his thing, and. He just became that he he inspired other characters like um, Seth Cohen from the OC, heavily inspired Whoa. by Vince Vaughn. Um, it, it literally, Adam Brody has call, said that doing that character, he was just doing a Vince Vaughn impression the whole time um, and no one caught on. <laughs> but <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, that 90s era of Vince Vaughn is so interesting to me because you do you got swingers. Right. And then you've got Lost World. You've got um, that J-Lo, Vincent D'Onofrio, crazy uh, movie. Cell. Yeah, yeah, The Cell. Um, and then, of course, Norman Bates in the, in the Psycho remake, um, which I would argue is an excellent performance from him in a movie that is not so good. Uh, but he is really good in it, and I think it's interesting. I've talked about this on other podcasts before, but the fact that, like, you know, he's like, I can't just do what Anthony Perkins was doing where you're hiding the fact that he's the killer. Everyone is going to this movie knowing that Norman Bates is the killer, so I have to play it a different way. And so I think that that's a really interesting choice. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't work, because that movie doesn't work. But like 
I find this era of Vince Vaughn where he is trying to be a real actor is very interesting before he just becomes a persona. Um, and I just, I miss this era of Vince Vaughn where he could do all of this weird stuff. You know, he could play in, um, what was that? Clay Pigeons, right? He could do like a movie mm-hmm. like Clay Pigeons. And now we're on the back half of that career where he's not that guy anymore. And so he's starting to do stuff like that. But the problem is the movies that get made that are like that are all like direct-to-video stuff. Um, and so it's just... Right, it's stuff like Freaky or the one where he's a cop. Right, right. Or the guy who's in prison the with the shaved head. Yeah, the cell, cell block Rumble, 99. Rumble and cell yeah, block yeah. 99. Yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, Starring Vince Vaughn. Yeah, it's so, it's so interesting. He's trying to do this stuff, but he's in movies that, like, Bruce Willis turned down, you know? And it's, like, a bummer. Um, well, Freaky was pretty good. Yeah, no, Freaky was great, but Freaky was supposed to be in theaters. Uh, mm. And then, you know, COVID. But it is, it is interesting seeing him sort of rolling back to that 90s era as best he can. And I hope that somebody like Tarantino's him and gives him like a second lease on a career that isn't just about his persona. Because, you know, as good as like the Vince Vaughn persona is, everybody got tired of it after a while, the same way that everybody kind of got tired of Will Ferrell after a while. And it's a thing that happens with a lot of comedy actors um, where everyone just gets tired of that persona. And I just like this era of Vince Vaughn, I just find fascinating. So anyway, 90s Vince Vaughn. Uh, and, and Van Owen's like an interesting character. He's kind of, he has moments where he's kind of badass. Yeah. Um, He's got a lot of cool like one-liners. Like I'm just like, you know, last year was about, like this year's about getting paid. You know, last year was working for the Red Cross, but he's doing it for the babes. Yeah. He's just like, the duality of him is interesting. I don't think the movie ever quite lands on who this guy is the way you just kind of, I mentioned last week about how like Ellie Sadler and Alan Grant really feel like lived in humans. Yeah. I don't think anyone in this movie quite reaches that level, even though there are some like really cool natural performances. Well, it's because it's like what we talked about last week, which is that David Kep knew I can't have them be real people. They need to be caricatures that do not have a life prior to this movie because it doesn't matter who they were before this movie i need to put everything on screen everything that they are needs to be exuded in everything that they say so that they're basically caricatures that the actors can mold themselves into right and that's why we get so many iconic characters in that first movie and in this movie even ian malcolm doesn't feel as fully formed as he was in the first film like everyone is kind of nebulous because none of them are caricatures in any sort of way, not the way that they were in the first film. Um, and I wonder if that's a side effect of of Ian Malcolm literally existing prior to this movie because he was in the first Jurassic Park, you know? All so, like, right, people yeah. have baggage for him. And so then, like, does all of that go out the window at that at that point for David mm-hmm. Kep? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we learn uh, Kelly gets dropped off by uh, her her mom. And is now Ian Malcolm's problem. So he's like, stay here. I have to go get Julianne Moore. They arrive at Ila Sorna. Uh, I want to shout out something that I really, really love. And I don't get to talk about very often. Uh, the Spielberg translation scene. It's where uh, you have usually three parties. Party A can only speak a language that isn't English. And in this case, it's Spanish. Party B is a character that can understand both English and another language like Spanish. In this scene, it's Nick Van Owen. 
And party C is someone who can only understand English and Malcolm. Now, yeah. in a majority of movies, that scene would be communicated with subtitles. And the audience would know what is being said as soon as the character who can only speak Spanish says it. Mm-hmm. But in Spielberg movies, and he uses it mostly in like Close Encounters is the big one that I think about, where they don't show you the subtitles. And if you don't speak Spanish, you are locked in with Ian Malcolm and learning the information as it's being parsed out through the translator. And it's usually like, like a character trying to describe what they've seen. Or in this case, it's like the reputation of this big, scary island. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he won't go to this island. Oh, it's because it's the death island. <laughs> and, and I've just always loved the like, little thrill of like slowly getting information pieced out to you through an interpreter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I yeah, we that. learned that Elisorn is called the Island of the Five Deaths. And we get the, uh, uh, the, the uh, you know, that whole, that translation thing becomes like a, a point of like really fun comedy in um, Bottle Rocket, which we talked about last season. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that, that <laughs> same true. like uh, Spielberg uh, translation scene. Right. You have like yeah. the game of like, uh, so they get to the island. We meet some Stegosauruses. Yeah. Which... If I'm if that that is also a, from a Crichton letter, right? A little kid was like, oh, yes. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm a sure. little kid uh, sent that to uh, David Kep. would be like, oh, and make sure that there's Stegosaurus in it, because that's my favorite dinosaur. Yeah, of course. Right. Uh, it's a good note. They were, they were missing. Uh, yeah, they were missing from the first one. So I would. It's nice to see those. I would say they're in the canon. Would you say that, Phil, of like iconic dinosaurs? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're on the like the top five. Easy. Yeah. Um. Scott, I haven't asked yet, but what 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 did, what did Bethany think of uh, of Lost World this view? Oh, she thinks she she thinks this movie fucks. I mean, she loves this yeah. movie. So, um, yeah, okay, she was like, yeah, people yeah. don't like this movie, and I was just like quiet and looking at the ground. She was like, you don't like this movie, and I was like, I just I think it has issues. I like a lot of it, but yeah, I I mean, I think it has issues too. But I, I mean, there's so much to like yeah. about it. I think if if you primarily watch these movies because you love dinos, this could be as good as it gets <laughs> yeah that's possible uh, totally in terms of variety in terms of what they're doing um how they behave how they're treated mm-hmm. in the movie as 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 animals which is i think is still a huge thing in lost world um right i was just watching you know like how they portrayed the animals here that and how they did in jurassic park and i remembered like steven spielberg's m- big kind of um mantra i think if you will i think that's the per- good word to use is that we're treating these as animals they're they're not monsters you know they're animals and we want to get that naturalistic side of them that other movies have never tried to do right right and i think that this movie does the same thing i really do i think that it has it still has that going for it even um well we'll get to the t-rex one well you mentioned uh, or scott mentioned the herbivore versus carnivore th- theme that the movie kind of uh, attempts to follow through or at least explores yeah. mm-hmm. and you get you know eddie and van owen and sarah who we run into when they meet the stegosauruses they're in awe and they're emotional and it's you know very much reminiscent of the big brontosaurus scene from the first one brachiosaurus brachiosaurus my bad <laughs> then uh later on when we meet the other team the hunters they were immediately like they don't even care to get the names right they're just guarding them and exploiting them and fry a tuck yes yeah it's great and and the movie shows us communicates to us that they are bad 
these are our heroes because yeah, no, totally. they're conservationists, you know? Yeah. Um, As a kid, I could easily see that for sure. Uh, what did uh, Bethany think of the baby I, Stego, Scott? Um, I mean, yeah, she liked all the dinosaurs. I mean, I think her favorite right. was the baby T-Rex because it reminded her the most of Gelato, our cat. Um, sure. But, oh, nice. <laughs> but, you know, I think my favorite is the... Um, the the dome the dome skull guy the, the yeah, guy that's just ramming people pachycephalosaurus mm-hmm. yeah pachycephalosaurus okay, yeah. pachycephalosaurus i think he's my favorite maybe in all of the movies i think he might be my favorite dinosaur prior to yes i love his energy <laughs> uh phil do you have a favorite dinosaur in this um i'm notoriously a person who like has very i have multiple favorites mm-hmm. but yeah i mean like i'm kind of boring too it's like you know, T Rex no, Raptor. Sure. Uh, you know what I mean. When the Pachycephalosaurus headbutts a dude through the car, hell yeah, that's that was good. That's money. I that love was, it. That was good stuff. Especially I that scared me so much as a kid watching it. I remember when it did that and then got up and then turned towards just about towards camera. That made me kind of scared as well. I remember seeing that in the theater and be like, Whoa. and I love the, I love the he, guy like dorking yeah. out about it. He was like, oh man, okay. So the cool thing about this oh. dinosaur is like he, he, yeah, he yeah, lowers yeah. his head and lines it with his spine so that he can like ram it at like you know. And he's just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love yeah, that. yeah. I love that guy. Yeah. What's the character's name? Burke, right? He's based off of yes, a guy named Backer. Yeah. He's based on a real paleontologist, with <laughs> yes. a, but that that yeah. looks like that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, a real paleontologist who the uh paleontologist expert who was working on the film he was a rival with jack Horner, hated yeah. that guy and was like if you're <laughs> yes I, we're, we're gonna name that and then he should be eaten by a t-rex and then the real guy that that's based on was like great because i think that t-rexes would do that and you don't so exactly i win in the end so <laughs> yeah it was fantastic i love that you story just played yourself. that's a good yeah. story <laughs> i love it that's great. It, it reminds so me of when Roland Emmerich tried to like they he made he put Siskel and Ebert in Godzilla. Oh yeah, like, you yeah. didn't do it right, idiot. We didn't even get eaten or stomped yeah. on. <laughs> it's true. Uh, I really and this is kind of when it re- I really started getting indie vibes because every Indiana Jones movie has the team of bad guys that are mm. after the same treasure that the good guys are on. Hundred percent. That's the reason much, why yeah. the Barbasol can would have been the best because it would have been a MacGuffin. The movie the, has no yeah, MacGuffin. Yeah, they could have tossed it around. That's the treasure. Yeah. yeah. The MacGuffin is just the dinosaur's well-being. Yes. And, like, that's very nebulous. It's very hard to I track. know, but I love the nebulous. I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with the fact that this, you know, the, the Barbasol can would have been a much better MacGuffin and would be much more clear and it'd be much more fun. Mm. But at the same time, this is what I loved. This is why I wanted to talk about Lost World, because this is what I loved as a kid, yeah. because I somehow felt that it was more complex than just the one thing with the you know do the thing so you can do that thing you know it was more like oh yeah politics i mean there's a a totally i think and watching i'm I'm, i totally bought into it i had a great time watching it then but as a kid when you see the like bad guys i made a point i was like you're betraying your 90s dinosaur loving self if you don't write down the names of the dinosaurs but when uh, (laughs) i know right when the bad guys like rant when they jerk down the parasaurophobia Parasaurolophus. 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 Elvis. Uh-huh. Elvis, the one with the pompadour. They give each good guy a super somber Spielberg close-up yes. to show you that yeah. each one of them was like, that was bad. 
And when you're a kid that just wants the dinosaurs to be okay, you're like, oh, yeah, those are the bad guys. Of course they are. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. I remember that very well. Um, very well. And those bad guys are Pete Bosselthwaite playing Roland. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved that scene in the buggy with the other guy, Ludlow, where he's like, look, man, this is what I'm about. You're going to do this. You don't even have to pay me. I just want to shoot a dinosaur. Don't get us killed. <laughs> and the guy's just like, okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Great. That's another thing with Ludlow, right? I When I was a kid, I kind of didn't even know that was the same character that he was in the beginning, uh, talking to Malcolm in, in the mansion. Did that happen to any of you guys when you were younger? I, I mean, don't. Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't Nick. remember. Um, <laughs> I don't remember, but I can't imagine being able to put the two characters together because they do look very different between they do yeah, off they, the island right? and on the island. And, and and when the T-Rex comes out of the pen, you know, in the in the boat at the end, sorry if I'm going too far ahead, but like then he gets surprised surprised and shocked about it, remember? And he's just like kind of like just what looking out here? into space. Yeah. What and I I thought it was a I thought that was a different character than the one with the cap in <laughs> yeah. in the body There's of the three movie. Because in this movie. Cause, cause, cause Ludlow in, in this movie sometimes it's so weird like i think that something in this movie with this character is just inconsistent because he's just at like later on in the movie he's like that's not a problem velociraptors are a problem (laughs) and he's just so nonchalant about it and like is that the same guy you know because he he wasn't like that he's supposed to be the pencil pusher you know i think it goes back to what scott mentioned earlier which is like they don't have that iconic outline that yeah that, you know yeah. dr grant dr sadler or even like you know you remember the lawyer because he's always holding a little briefcase you remember sam jackson because he has a cigarette dennis neardry has his big hawaiian jacket like yeah these yeah. things and everyone this movie is a sea of khaki mm-hmm. oh you're right you're right that's such a good analogy you need a face like you remember pete Postlethwaite's face because he has like an unforgettable face now now i'm gonna yeah, look up but... the costume designer and see if it's the same Oh, okay. Because yeah, those the the way that Jurassic Park is presented is very much like I I like a stage play, like theater. Like it just has that iconography to it. Yeah. There's so much that is just simple colors. You know, I'd even say that it's something that Trevorrow's film sort of remember because I can very easily could like think draw Claire or Owen or like you know. I, I can yeah, see a balloon yeah, yeah. of those characters and re- recognize them probably. Yeah, totally. Like Owen, he has that blue shirt. He has a blue shirt. Yeah, right? the vest. <laughs> yeah, and 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 Claire, she's white, red hair. Mm-hmm. You know Business what I mean? It's really, exactly. So, yeah. and then with with Lost World is like, yeah, Ian Malcolm's black. He has black on. That's about it. So Roland decides they come upon a baby T Rex, and they get the idea to, like break the t-rex or catch the baby t-rex in a trap breaking its leg that's right and it's like squealing for its mom meanwhile uh the nephew no i think it's ludlow is giving the sales pitch that scott mentioned to the san diego jurassic park that john was going that's right john was going to build it there's already a physical location in san diego just waiting for it to be in use why bring Mm -hmm. why have people go to the zoo when you can bring the zoo to them um and bring the zoo to them yeah uh phil what do you think about that it's just like a bad guy plot there's another another big thing that i wanted to bring up is that 
it's still like different hues of cocky, <laughs> like you said. Yeah. Like, like it really is because once again, like it is a it is a villain plot, but it's like not it's not a terrible mm-hmm. plot. You know, it's not like we're gonna kill a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, they're just doing that for the money, of, of course. But it, it's not. It's um that's what I liked about the intent at least or the presentation that Lost World is it just felt more adult like I was that's kind of the theme that I was going okay. with right now it's just that it felt more like yeah this is what they want to do it's not like it's not evil evil you know it's not cartoony evil but it's still like you think about it and you're like that's a bad idea you know and I feel like that that I think that's why the movie isn't so isn't that strong because it just doesn't have what you're expecting for an adventure movie with dinosaurs in it, probably. For sure. And it also that it just didn't like it. It just didn't execute that as much as it probably had the potential to. But you just need to think about it more. Mm-hmm. I don't know. In terms uh, of the costumes. I was the, gonna say, yeah. <laughs> the the um, lead costumer is a role that is split between genders. So there's a lead costumer for women and for men. The uh, lead costumer for women stayed the same from Jurassic Park to Jurassic World, but the men changed because the lead male costumer on Jurassic Park would didn't return and instead did Pleasantville, which makes a lot of sense because oh, Pleasantville yeah. is a very like interesting costuming you know movie to work on um so now i'm thinking back in my memory and i'm like thinking about the lost world i was like oh the women do stand out as like right as like different amongst themselves but the men are what all look the same you got sarah you got kelly yeah right kelly has that red shirt Mm -hmm. all the time yeah they like they'll they'll pop out in a crowd but the but the other two all of the guys all just it's true. Um, Sarah looks like an action figure, mm-hmm. like already yeah. with a, with just the necklace and like the no, it was like a what was a bandana? Sorry, like around right. her neck and everything, and it's just like the colors that are com- combining. Right. Very good, Man, so important. Yeah, watching this movie, I was like, I'm ha- I'm excited for Dominion, but how I would be so hyped if they brought Nick Van Owen back. I'd be hyped if they brought Sarah back, <laughs> Kelly. Yeah. Um, so they they the good guys free the baby t-rex and bring it into the big trailer that they have to try and set its leg thus yeah nick does why yeah i guess he knows he guess he worked with animals on one of his greenpeace adventures i guess so he knows how to set a leg and he knows to like belt its snoot together well, so it doesn't bite There's them. also this weird vibe of like he's doing it and Julia Moore Sarah is like no 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 don't bring that in here don't do that no 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 don't do that. as yeah, soon yeah, as he yeah. puts it on the table they switch He puts oh, it on the table yeah, exactly. and suddenly I was she's all that. in yeah. and is like don't answer the phone focus on this I need your hand do this do this and I'm like wait you just said to get the thing out now you're like all in and you're yeah. doing the sonar and the what the hell is I going know. on? Yeah. Ian's doing his what, thing what? in the back trying to get a call on the satellite right. phone. Right. <laughs> um, and then uh, Kelly is like, I don't, this is bad. I don't want to be here. The only smart one, of course, is a kid. And uh, she's I wanna, like, I want to get high. high. Let's go get high. Uh, so, yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> so, Let's go get high. So Ian takes them to Eddie, who's in uh, the high hide, which we hadn't mentioned earlier. Right. But it's like a thing. It's like a little like uh, cart or I don't know, uh, thing that they can 
raises up. Right. God, there's such a, it's such a simple word, and I just can't think of it right now. Yeah. Um, like uh, it's like a, a platform. Tree. It's like a platform. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. 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 There you go. Uh, and yeah. then back at the trailer, we get high point of the movie, maybe top 10 Spielberg set pieces, period. Um, Just the fact that he went in just like improvising this basically is mental to me of the truck. The trailer goes over the thing. Sarah Julianne Moore lands on the glass. We see the glass breaking. Ian Malcolm's trying to get to the get to Sarah in time. We see Nick reaching for the sat phone. Sat phone drops, hits the gets the glass. It shatters. They catch Julianne Moore just in time. Mm-hmm. And that's just half of Love it. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it just it fucks. You know, yeah. like it's it's, it's one of it the does. best like Spielberg like action sequences. Or like tense sequences, you yeah. know. You know, I mean, all of his action sequences tend to be pretty tense. Like that's kind of like no. a Spielberg thing. But yeah, I think this might end up being the scariest Jurassic Park movie. Mm, interesting. I don't jump a lot when I'm watching movies alone on my couch, mm-hmm. and there's a couple moments that like got me watching this. And yeah. We'll, we'll, oh we'll yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Um, Eddie Carr sees now all this happening. Mean. Uh, tries to save them, is able to like pull them up, um, and then we get that incredible shot where they're holding on to the cable, and the bu- the cable, like the bus falls through them. Hell yeah! And they're yeah. still dangling. Uh, but Eddie, it's good. Yeah, but Eddie does get eaten by T Rex, and it is extra. It's so mean. <laughs> Pretty it's extra. So mean. It's so, like he gets bitten and <laughs> I mean... torn apart. And like tossed back, it's kind of almost romantic Ugh. that they share. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, look, um, I I don't know what to say about it being so mean. I I never got that. I never got that actually from from watching the movie at, at any point. Really, is that weird? Yeah, because yeah. I feel the complete opposite for Jurassic World. I'm like, that is the cruelest thing I've ever oh, seen. This is so cruel. Um, <laughs> this is so cruel because he didn't do anything. He was a nice guy, and he like. He helped when he could and like was all on board. Was and one of the Ian, good guys. Totally. Yeah, he, he, it it totally. was not like the lawyer in Jurassic Park where yeah. they're like, you're not supposed True. to, like, you're not supposed to think this guy's pretty obnoxious. I mean, there's, I mean, look, there's casualties that happen and I feel like that's just part of the, I don't know, like maybe it's just part of that uh, atmosphere that, of dread that the lost world. Well, but yeah. I guess, I guess but that's my argument for up. this and Jurassic world is like they're animals, right? They just, it was, they just picked up a random, they just pick a random human because it's meat and they eat it. And you, the human, is like, oh, that character didn't or did deserve to get eaten. Sure, sure. And I, I definitely agree with that. But the way that this is shot is like, check this out, right? Right. right. And it's, it goes back to that, yeah, demented 80s Spielberg that we were talking about. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's the way that it's shot is what's mean. It's Spielberg who's mean. Um, it's, and it's just like, he doesn't deserve to die in a way that you're shooting this gleefully. Um, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Whereas like, you know, later with the copy attack, it's like, yeah, no, that guy deserved that. Um, that guy was an asshole. Yeah. That's comeuppance. (laughs) This is not comeuppance of anything. I don't have any issue with Eddie getting eaten or, or, you know, whatever, but like, you do it the way that like Muldoon gets eaten in the first one, which is not mean. It's not like um it's more of like a moment where it's just like, oh, okay, I I 
I see respect like yeah, game, yeah, re- yeah. No, I game recognized yeah. game and mm. I'm going to die. Um, it's not mean or the way that Sam Jackson dies off screen. That's not mean, right? This is just right. like, look at this. We're going to rip him in half. It's going to be fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, he didn't deserve this. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm forming a third opinion, which is you're both right, but I, I, I love it. Because <laughs> like, I think I probably would agree with you, Scott, if it was a few extra shots. You know, if if they probably stepped on him a few times first or something like that, then oh, maybe. Man. maybe. <laughs> uh, if they like, if they like, because tri- it feels like it's in the darkness. I don't know. Like, I'm just, I, I'm it wouldn't even bother me I've if they found like half way. of him in the aftermath of it, but we didn't see it happen. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't bother me as much, either. right? But speaking of which, we really don't like. There's a lot of moments. I don't know if you've noticed where there's like reaction shots or just people looking at dinosaurs and the close-up is on them but you never see the action happen yeah of the dinosaurs there's a lot of that like i've just noticed watching this for the first time ever just yeah. uh they like you know you see the like they say the t-rexes are leaving the the van you know and then they're going to come back but you know you see them leaving right. and then there's all kind there's other little close-ups of people reacting to something happening off screen, but you never get yeah. to see it. Save money. I wonder what that Spielberg is. Spielberg proudly proclaimed that there's so. only 65 oh. uh, visual effects shots in the movie. True. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, in, in case we miss it, I'm in love with the scene where everyone is reacting to the boat speeding towards the dock, but there's never a big, well, there's one big, but they, they really save their moment of the reveal of the ship crashing into the port. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So no, that's a good that's a good build up there for that thing showing up. And then uh, another tried and true part of uh, any Indiana Jones movie: the good guys get captured by the bad guys, and they have to kind of sort of work on the same team together for a while. Mm-hmm. When they're just like in a line on an expedition, just marching, that movie was in the zone for me. Yeah, well, and you got to know the bad I guys think- a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. You got to know their personalities and why they suck so bad. So then when yeah. they die, you're like, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, also the Steven Sommers mummy, mummy movies. Sure. Sure. Well, yeah. Oh, they did the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And especially right. and in both of those cases, a lot of times, you know, it's, it's, they're like basically prisoners, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's like, no, you're not allowed to go because if you, if we let you go free, you're going to fuck this up for us. So yeah, you have to come with us. It's like everyone is so civil to each other that you almost forget that they are prisoners still. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah. But that's that's another one of those things where I'm just like, see, this is a little bit more. This is less Indiana. I mean, it is exactly Indiana Jones E, right, because they are prisoners and they have to go with them. But at the same time. I mean, they're still human to each other yeah you know like, what i mean like it's very mundane yeah there's never a scene well. where broland or the nephew like takes sarah by the neck and like if you don't do what we say yeah yeah gonna... yeah yeah exactly yeah. like no like you're here we don't want you to be here but whatever we don't want to get eaten by dinosaurs so like yeah. we have to work together that is definitely yeah. a problem with the the trevorrow movies um the the world sure. movies it's like the villains are a lot more like <laughs> kidnappy and like violent mustache twirly yes yeah. big time big yeah, time for yeah. sure it's like, it's to me that is the weakest part of those movies actually are the the villains sure. being too villainous because even like uh i i, I kept calling pete possible the way like dark muldoon <laughs> <'Cause> sure. <he's... laughs> 
He's just like, but even he turns out to be more reasonable than you would have thought when he, yes, you know, like, you know what? I'm going to walk away from this. This is, this is a bad scene. I'm like, yeah, oh, exactly. I not think you were going to do that. Yeah. He's like, I like the idea yeah. of, of maybe like wrecking a dinosaur and, uh, you know, getting its head stuffed for my mantle or something. But like, I don't know. This feels like, like a this. bad idea. Not like this. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Not like this. Uh, Not like this. Uh, I think the kind of like almost Sam Raimi levels of meanness is when they take a water break. And by the way, Peter Stormhair is in this. We haven't mentioned that yet. That's true. As oh, Peter. yeah. He's a hunk in this, too. I was like, wow, you were like young Peter Stormhair. Look at you. Because. <laughs> Even I feel like because like Armageddon I think is yeah. next year and even by then he is like and I say this with all the love in the world but like gross Peter Stormare yes you know yeah <laughs> yeah um, so he has to go to the ladies room as he says and he tells Carter who's like his compatriot that's like rummaging through something like hey I'm going to the bathroom I'll be back in fifteen minutes just tell everyone I'm gone and we see that he's just playing music on his Walkman yeah and like didn't hear him yeah. and. Yeah, then he goes and gets wandered off, and then he gets eaten by the uh, Compsognathus. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, you know, it it's kind of weirdly paced because, like, it's like it keeps having the same, he keeps having the same discovery over and over, which is like, oh, these things really want to eat yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it never stops. And I was thinking to myself, like, by the end of the sequence, he might have been walking around there for like hours and hours just being chased by those There's things. No, and he just still has the same reaction. Yeah, there's them. no punchline. No, exactly. It's just no, like he clever just girl. gets tired, I guess. <laughs> it just. Yeah. yeah. Like when he falls over the log and they, they eat him, I didn't know, like, well, why was that the final thing? What changed? What was the escalation? Yep. Totally. It's funny because in the book, I think you might recall that uh, the Compsognathus are in the first right. book. Jurassic Park, right? And they have, and the the way that they kill their prey in the book is that they have a like a bacteria in their like they have a poison saliva when they bite, and then they t and then the victim turns drowsy and then falls asleep, and then they just kind of eat them right. from there, like to paralyze them. And there's your perfect moment to oh, yeah. introduce that in this That's movie, so and then you could have done that with Peter both Schumer. in both. The opening scene and this scene are both in the original novel. The the little girl getting yes, getting yes. Uh, eaten by That's the right. by the compies is what sends the lawyer in and gets the whole ball rolling on the whole Jurassic Park like investigation uh, that like you know pushes the plot forward. And then it's Hammonds who gets eaten by the compies later in the yeah. movie or in the book, um, book. because John you know, Hammond. Yeah, John Hammond, because he's a capitalist yeah. pig and he's a bad guy. And oh, oh yeah, he's, he's awful. Not Santa? No, he's not Santa. No, no, he's a, he's a real piece of shit. He's like, he's like, ah, fuck that little girl. I don't know, like money, <laughs> like exactly. He's, he's a exactly. real piece of shit. Um, so like Sean he, Connery. Yeah, when he gets right, exactly the Sean Connery <laughs> version of John Hammond, absolutely. Um, so he gets eaten by the compies in the same fashion as as this. So those are both taken from the Jurassic yeah. Park book and readapted in this movie. Okay. And and it, I think that the at this point in the movie, I feel like once the hunters get, get the gatherers and they're working together, I do feel like this is where I was interested for my own personal kind of reasons. Like I was following the story fairly well. I felt like there's something that's more 
like more of a don't laugh at me but like a thinking man's kind of story more so than Jurassic Park was which was very like kind of straightforward this has more like politics in it and we talked about that right um but and i was on board until now and up like to this point i feel like the end is just the the next half of this movie is just going to be kind of like set pieces and i feel like that's all it's yeah. going to be what do you think i agree i think the movie takes a sharp drop in thrills after the bust cliff sequence yes yeah yeah and like like literally there's there's a comm center that runs on geothermal energy and so they'll be able to use that to call a ship or a plane and so that's our heading for like all of act two is like just marching yeah. to this comm center right and it's really when you start to notice like yeah like you know like the the elegance of jurassic park is like you kind of everything was always like, oh, they're going to this place to do that, and this connects to this and this, and like, yeah, it was kind of like. But until we get to like Raptor City, which I was a fan of, I, I kind of Raptor City, I kind of like disengaged a little bit at this point. What about what yeah. about you, Scott? Yeah, yeah, completely. And I'll be honest, when we get to Raptor City, I first of all <laughs> the Raptors in the Tall Grass sequence, which I think is next. Um, yes absolutely rules but in my memory it is three times as long as it actually is in the movie i remember it being like an extended sequence but the raptors are <laughs> just know. like bang 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 getting them out like just yeah, popping them em. off one after the other and i thought it was like a tense like who's gonna go next right. and then another one goes it's like oh no they're over there you like yeah, i was yeah. imagining it was a, a really tense sequence like that but it's not they're just running for their lives through the through the grass <laughs> no no it's yeah. true uh, before that, there is the whole thing where they make camp, and then Roland finds the remains of um, yeah. Dieter Stark, and and then uh, this is when the Rex kind of followed right, them right. because of Sarah Harding's blood. I don't know if you uh, want to talk about that moment. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, well, you know, just this whole sequence here. This is where the movie where I realized what, and this is very controversial. Um, I have very <laughs> controversial opinions about James Cameron. Um, but this is the moment where I was like, oh, this is aliens. That's what this is. This is Jurassic Park was alien, the superior film. And this is aliens, which is just a bunch of characters in a space being attacked by things they don't understand. And we're just watching them all die one by one. Uh, yeah. With, and with aliens. So. Yeah. You're like, oh, that I, I remember a collective half hour of this. Yes. You know, you yeah, remember all the iconic yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, there is like th like two hours of like vents, other yeah. things. Yeah, but, like I think <laughs> about like the, the, this raptor sequence. The reason that it reminded me of it of aliens mm. immediately was it reminded me of like the alien sequence where they are like seeing the beeps and they're like, yeah. where are they coming oh, that from? Yeah, yeah. It reminded me of that, and like <laughs> right, people are like yeah. getting taken out and stuff. That's what it reminded me of. Um, but yeah, this has a lot in common, I think, with aliens in terms of like how it ups the ante from the first film. You know, True. I'm going to say even more so than the, than the cliff sequence. I think the tall grass sequence is the single longest lasting part of this movie for millennials. Uh-huh. I, I think if you were a kid <laughs> in the nineties that saw this, you remembered the tall grass scene. Yes. Of course. And like, you're scared of tall grass. You know, what's crazy though. I, again, I haven't yes. seen this movie in probably 20 years. Um, yeah. and watching oh, wow. it this morning, okay. I was like, I was blown away that that sequence took place at night. 
Because in my memory, it was day. It mm-hmm. was daytime. And that was what, what made it scary, was that it was like, this is happening wow. and it's daytime. And, <clears throat> and Spielberg found wow. a way to make it scary. In my memory, that's what it was. And so when it happened at night, I was like, oh, weird. That's just not mm-hmm. what I remembered at all. <laughs> and I remembered it wow. super long. And like, yeah, so it was just like blowing yeah. my mind that it was nothing like what I had in my memory. I know. That's how I feel with, with a bunch of different movies. Like, if things are just so much, so much, so much faster when you watch, like you said, with that sequence, I could easily remember that being a lot longer than yeah. it was, too. Yeah. But it's so funny that in the daytime, like, you should paint that for me. I want to <laughs> know how it looks like. Because I'm, like, I'm just imagining, like, the daytime with the yeah. tall grass. And for some reason, I also remember them not establishing that it was the raptors until everyone gets out of the grass and then the raptors reveal themselves. Oh. You're like, oh shit, it was ra- the raptors are back. Like that. It was like, <laughs> uh, you just raptors. saw people like getting iced and you didn't know mm-hmm. what was getting them. Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. no, there's an establishing right. shot of the raptors being like, Hey, look, bud dinner. And then they go after them. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Yeah, they That's do. So funny. Yeah. Oh, uh, something I uh, want to forgot to hang a lantern on. There's a little key moment between the good guys and the bad guys where it's either Ludlow or the nephew or like, no, you don't understand. These dinosaurs are our property. They're engine property. Yeah. We patented it. We own it. And I think that kind of is also, and it comes to a head with the Hammond scene that I want to talk about at the end yeah. of like this mm-hmm. movie attempting to have a theme and have something to say. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But then we do get Raptor City and the moment where Sarah and Kelly are locked in a closet or in a, in a, in like that dirt closet. And the raptors are like clawing and digging, and you see the I'm pretty sure practical effect claws digging oh, yeah. into the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That really freaked yeah. me out. Oh yeah. And then it's good stuff. When they because like the and the movie is like, look, they're both digging. <laughs> and then <laughs> when they get when they finish digging and there's enough of a hole in the ground, and Kelly's about to go through and the raptor head comes out. Oh yeah. Yeah. I like I jumped yeah. like that alone in my good. apartment. Me too. It was really so good. good. It was like I don't love the way the Raptors look in this one, the practical ones. Oh, <gasps> it's interesting. Is it the stripes? Yes, it's the colors. Okay. The color oh. colorization of them is like they're too colorful in a way that I don't you're, I don't you're... feel looks realistic to me. But Oof, you're breaking my heart. You're breaking my heart <laughs> so bad because that's my favorite Raptor. I oh. love it. It looks so good. Yeah. It's like the beautiful colors, lovely stripes, wonderful eyes. Like they have these green eyes. I I just love them, and I love them ever since I first saw these raptors in in this movie. And then later, I played the video game. Might be a sure. reason why the PlayStation sure. game was was it for With Michael Giacchino? Was it for Sega? Because there's a yeah. Sega name drop in this. Oh no no no! The PlayStation oh, okay, one, yeah. the PlayStation yeah. one. And it and I just. Fell in love, and that's my favorite raptor design of all time. I love it. I want to say. I can't believe that you didn't like it. I think, can't believe it. It hurts. The, the, the hurts. brown and black one, when I saw the brown and black one, I was like, I, did I have an action figure of that one? Because I'm having like a visceral, like, whoa, I remember you. Yeah. I have a soft spot for the raptors in JP3, but we'll talk about that next week. Oh, yeah? Really? Okay. Wow. I, I, I did when I was... <laughs> I, I'm not going to be on that one, sure. but like, I just, I, I, I was like, I don't like them. They don't look that right. <laughs> I was 12. I was 12. Okay. Just, just and saying. then, uh, Scott um, and I kind of spoiled it last week, but we're, I'm, I'm just such a huge, it's like just Spiel, chef's kiss Spielberg of 
it's set up that Kelly was cut from the gymnastics team and she's like sat and it's a point of contact. Dad, you don't even know that guy cut from the gymnastics team. And Ian's like, oh man, honey, you yeah. really cared about that. Um, and though she does this batshit yeah. insane gymnastics routine and then kicks a velociraptor out a window and then it gets <laughs> out impaled window. on a pipe and dies. Yeah. And then Ian Malcolm is like, you got cut from the team? Did the school cut you from the team? And I was like, Cue audience laughter. Like, oh yes, he mixed the the outrageous and crazy with something really domestic and small, which is like a dad being impressed by the, the her his his daughter being good oh, at gymnastics. Yeah. And I just will always remember that little math equation of fun. Yeah, yeah, and that's a really that's a nice little microcosm you picked out there because like lots of people have a problem with that oh yeah yeah moment like you like scott no. do you no i don't i i, I oh, you don't okay I think it's, well i think it's it's a really <laughs> fun moment i will say i think her gymnastics routine is a little extra um i think it's they very 90s yeah i think they could have simplified <laughs> it and still been impressive and been like oh yeah gymnastics but like they made it a little like olympics gold medal but mm -hmm. <laughs> okay yeah yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah but yeah. other than that like i i like the moment yeah like as a thing i think i think it's fun it, it yeah, reminds me yeah, of uh yeah. the the boba fett twirl that everyone went crazy for which is like oh, i love i thought it was i thought it was really cool and fun and extra and some people were like no it's dumb because it's extra that's not realistic or someone could shoot him yeah other reasons and i'm like well that's just inherently not what i why i watch these yes <laughs> <laughs> okay well that's that's surprising because i always hear people talking about how horrible it, that's the worst part of the movie and i'm like it's no fine. if there wasn't a it's joke fine. about it right after where where if jeff goldblum is just oh then like, it would they, be they totally cut you place. from the team like that yeah it without that it wouldn't work at all but because of that mm -hmm. i no, think it's, no 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 it, no, like, no, hangs no 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 a lantern yeah, yeah, on yeah. it just enough to Absolutely. be like that was the coolest shit i've ever seen how would they cut you from the gymnastic team nothing yeah. about that makes yeah, any totally. sense yeah. let's get out of here no i got it i got i <laughs> uh, i'm i'm learning a lot of times when some something i will like that's the best part of the movie i will like open up my laptop and be like that was like the worst thing ever that was so cheesy and i hate right. that that's true <laughs> i I remember feeling like a fever dream was happening when they are already getting off the island and ferried into a helicopter. And I'm yeah. like, whoa, wait, wait, is it over already? I feel like it hasn't been. That's not how you end a movie. That wasn't the <laughs> climax. I don't even know what that word is, but like, you know, and then we get to San Diego. And well, before that, making... as they're going away, oh, yeah, you yes, see yes. the T-Rex and they're like, oh, shit. And you're like, oh, OK, movie's not over. Here we go. Yes, movie's not over yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay yeah well when i was a kid i didn't think uh, that we but get when i was a kid just like just like with nick like you're you're definitely getting to that point where i'm just gonna be like the movie didn't it's kind of short it didn't like nothing concluded yet uh you know? roland says he's tired of being in the company of death even though he hasn't killed anything <laughs> um his friend aj that's died. true mm -hmm. that's true he lost some, some good mercs his best bud it's not often have you guys no, seen Sorry, have you guys seen the uh, the deleted no, scenes? No. <clears throat> oh wow. Okay. Um. Well, there's one. Uh, you just you should watch. The okay. Scenes. I'm done. Is <laughs> right. helicopter explosion? No, but there's the, the yes the, there there is one with uh, that introduces Roland and a, a AJ AJ, um, and at like a cafe somewhere, and it shows how tough he is, and 
and AJ actually telling him like there's a proposition to go and you know like get out of retirement because he's a retired hunter and go to you know like get some actual wild game you know like that's never been seen before and stuff like that that was interesting he he tells Nick Van Owen at one point he was like that I want you know that's the number one predator and he's he's going to get taken down by the number two predator yeah Mm -hmm. yeah 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 yeah. he's an interesting dude and it's it's not often that a character like this receives a fate better than he deserves. Right. Like the fact that he does just get to hop on a helicopter and fly away. It, I was kind of into it just because it was so unexpected. I do wonder, though, if in the original Pteranodon ending that he would have been killed. Um, yeah. but, but because they switch out like the beginning <laughs> of Raiders switch out the the third acts of this movie um and he's just mm-hmm. not in that version of the third act you know yeah. yeah he has he has killed off just written all over him oh yeah 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 so does nick um uh you know uh, that's true you know I mean, and yeah. his last scene is him on the helicopter dumping out bullets right he has he's like yeah, two bullets was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like yeah that'll stop him from shooting that t-rex and then but he already wasn't going to <laughs> yeah yeah, weird. It, the, yeah, it's a bit weird that um, subplot. And then we cut to San Diego. Sh- ship crashes into the dock. T Rex comes out. So I do have a, I have a question about this because this is where I started getting confused about okay. the plot. And so I want to see if you guys can explain this to me better. Okay. So when when the nephew is doing his presentation for the InGen board, and he's In the got tent, like back on the island. Yeah, and he's got the. He's got the model, right, that mm. they brought to the island for some reason. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and so he has this model of strange. the stadium that he's like, we're going to build this stadium in San Diego. We're going to bring dinosaurs out. We're going to get all the money back that we lost from the Jurassic Park incident, and it's mm. going to be great. It's already built. We can have it up and running in a month. Great. But then, but then... <laughs> In the Raptor City sequence, right, you have Nick going into a rundown Jurassic Park, but it's not the Jurassic Park from Jurassic Park. It's like a different Jurassic Park. And I'm like, what Why is were, this place? Like, was... Oh. Did you know? No, um, I, I'm i pretty sure I know. I mean, this that's Site yes. B, right? This is where they were made. This is the lab. This is the lab yeah. village, laboratory village, where they were actually just you know doing all the genetic okay yes the factory st- floor stuff breeding the yeah breeding the dinosaurs okay. and you know actually getting them i think what throws raised. me Remember, that's is what... that it's so highly decorative that there's like an art piece on the wall and stuff like that uh, where i'm just like well then this is made for visitors so well i guess it's like yeah. in, in pixar i guess if you walk into the cafeteria there'd be like a big thing of like sully waving at you yeah i guess that's probably true exactly yeah. exactly that's kind of how i that's how I. I just remember this watching this as exactly. a kid and being like, "Oh, they made it back to Jurassic Park. They're at Jurassic Park." Mm-hmm. Same, um, no, for sure, and, and not understanding. And I find that very confusing. Um, no, I got yeah. confused when I was a kid. I thought that they, I, because I, you know, you're a kid, so it's like I don't remember Ila Sorna, Ila Nublar. <laughs> I don't, I don't know which is which. Speaking of that scene, and so I thought, oh, no, please, yeah, no, oh, no, I was gonna say just, I saw that Muriel, Muriel, Muriel. Muriel, mural, and 
Yeah, I was just like, I guess this is Jurassic Park, but there's nothing that I recognize. Right. In it. I guess he he hopped and onto it. another island. Yeah. Just hopped on the part where magic. Vince Vaughn sees that the you know the mosaic or the you know the wall art and like the John Williams is a little like duh, 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 you know mm-hmm. and Vince Vaughn like mm-hmm. smiles to himself like yeah hell yeah yeah <laughs> like you know Colin Trevorrow is gonna get so much shit in like fifteen years for doing this exact shot yes. <laughs> Of like, yeah, someone was whisp- just like, whisp- yeah, yeah. It's okay mm-hmm. to have nostalgia four years after the original movie, but if you wait, if you wait twenty, it's too long. Fuck you. <laughs> um, like it's just <laughs> low hanging. Like, what is he reacting wistfully to? That the time where three people died. I like. I agree. I agree. Like totally. What is Nick Vino? He should be against yeah. this whole thing yeah. from the beginning because he's that Earth first bastard, isn't he? Oh yeah. So he would have been even more radical than Ian Malcolm in that dinner scene. Yeah. So I don't know what that was all about. And honestly, like watching it now, I'm just like kind of out of yeah. character. It's a bit, it's well, a bit and it's strange. also like him being an Earth first dude, right? Is so. There's so much. <laughs> There's so much fruit there that they just left off the table because I'm imagining him in that dinner scene. And he's like, you can't just do this. You can't just bring them back, whatever. He's like, and then, you know, somebody is like, yeah, you're right. We should kill them all. He's like, well, okay, you can't do that either. And it's like, so then what do you right. want? It's like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Cause you brought them back <laughs> and like now they're here <laughs> and they're alive. We can't kill now them. What? But like, they shouldn't exist. I don't know. Like there, there's like something really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To like dig into with that guy of being like, I don't even. Yeah. I have no idea what this means. Like you know, because right. um, he we're on the verge of a new frontier. Yeah, what is yeah. Because not no one on the OG team, you know, Sadler, Grant, and Malcolm were any kind of like they did. They weren't like uh 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 Jane Goodall, right? They they yeah. weren't with living animals like studying like at least we didn't learn about that we didn't hear about that right so yeah he, he has a unique perspective that i don't i don't think we get into enough no no there's something really there you he could have made him really interesting especially if you didn't hold off on that reveal until five minutes before he leaves the movie entirely <laughs> so true uh Gosh. Here, here's yeah. my rewrite i think in fallen kingdom when claire has become a, a radical herself and has now started a nonprofit. Nick Van Owen should be like her, like co person. Oh, that would have been so. That would have been so good. <laughs> that would have been a time period where you probably could have gotten Vince Vaughn to do it too, because oh, you know, yeah, you know, he wasn't it. in big AAA he movies anymore. Yeah, he wasn't like a big movie star anymore. Right, right. Like you said, like Wedding Crashers. God damn. Um. <laughs> so yeah, you know, they go to San Diego. Uh, we get kind of proto Transformers vibes, which is cool to watch. Mm-hmm. Of like when the when the Autobots are like stumbling around pools and like, what's a dog? Go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I loved this sequence oh, so much. Was, I love it. It was literally like our imaginations come to life because you yeah. imagine like, what if I saw a dinosaur in my backyard? What if I saw a dinosaur yes. on that street? Just walking on in the street, yeah, and. When I, you know, I mean, in the story, they say that this thing is scared, frightened, and, you know, it's a locomotive because it's been injected with anti tranquilizing <laughs> juice. I don't know. They tranked them and then they anti tranked Not a chemist. Yeah, yeah, they did. They totally did. And so it's, it's going crazy out there, very scared. And this is what I loved about it, watching it now and its behavior. It's like I could feel like in the animation, like, 
just it being an animal and being just confused out of its mind yeah. what, what's going on and being aggressive towards everything doesn't know what it's like doesn't know where it is what it's doing and i felt that was great to see plus it's the king kong movie that we got to mm-hmm. experience combined with godzilla on a smaller scale and um what i wanted to say was when i was a kid i remember i don't remember much from first seeing it in the cinema with my dad but I, what i do remember is that I was being really annoying to someone behind me because <laughs> I was talking to my dad all the time. And the one thing that I remember telling my dad, whispering to my dad was when this sequence was happening is this is like a T-Rex's dream. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been waiting for this. I love, I love randomly <laughs> <Yeah>. remembering <laughs> like the weird shit yeah. you say as a kid that makes perfect sense to you at the time. But like looking yeah. back, you're like, what the yeah. fuck was I even talking about? Like, what, <laughs> exactly. what does that mean? <laughs> this is every T-Rex's dream. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <sighs> That's great. Uh, I love that. Um, I got in trouble <laughs> when I took my, I think I said this on the X-Men episode, but when I saw X-Men with my brother, I kept pointing out who every mutant was until he, he told me to stop. <laughs> oh, wow. That shadow aka Kitty Pride. Uh, nice. And then um, they managed to lead the T Rex to back to the ship that it came out of the blockbuster yeah, using oh. the the baby T Rex. Um, the nephew gets killed by the baby, and it's kind of that gleeful mean death, but to a character we don't like. Right. That Scott was talking about earlier. It's also really um, cute because, like, because the because the it's got the lost world yeah, music. Well, because and... the parent T Rex is like is like go ahead, come on. Get get go it. On. Like, go ahead. Yeah. Like, it's just so cute because it's like teach, and it yeah. just keeps looking back. Like, is this how I do it? It's, it's really, yeah. it's really cute. And unfortunately, I think this is this that little bit is what directly leads us into the way certain dinosaurs are treated in the Jurassic World franchise as like heroes and pets. Like, they become good guy dinosaurs. They become good guy dinosaurs because they're like, look how cute they are. Like a whole generation. Mm-hmm grew up with dinosaurs that they were like that's cute i want to pet it you know right i mean i would have loved that when i was like if jurassic world came out when i was yeah eight oh, yeah. i would have loved that movie so much oh and and um, to for the record i honestly enjoyed watching the movie the first yeah, time sure, sure when i when i saw jurassic world like yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, um, okay. and then we get this denouement where Oh, I, I love. I really like that moment where where Kelly looks over and uh, Ian and Julianne Moore are both like passed out. Yeah, because it's you don't you don't you don't you don't get that in movies a lot. We're just like, yeah, they're they would be tired. Yeah, yeah. The the aftermath of a big, huge. Oh, I do want to mention crazy the event. kid seeing the T Rex eat the dog in the pool and that sequence. Yes, yeah. yeah. It is paced so fucking weird. Because it is, it's like you watch him all cross the entire hallway, get his parents out of bed. It takes a long time to wake them up. They all walk all the way across the hallway <laughs> and then they're in his room and it takes like a full 10 seconds for either of them to register the T-Rex. And it's just, it is the... And the kid has to take his yeah, camera as well. it's such a weirdly paced scene. I'm like, time. that's the best the editor could do with this? Really? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I wow. think it's like the difference between okay, look, am I? I'm not going to cut to this happening to a bunch of different houses and a bunch of different families. Yeah, 
I'm gonna do every joke I can with one family. Yeah, you're getting doesn't want to get out of bed. Right, you're getting arguing over what oh the boys the fish tank and you're getting delayed reaction. Yeah, you're getting dog in the dinosaur's mouth. You're getting camera flash. Oh boy, I guess you just do a one for all and just make it long. <laughs> oh, the ultimate American family. It's very strange. There it is. And Kelly, who also should totally be in the, in the Jurassic World movies. Yeah, they um, should bring her back. I'd like to see Kelly. She's again. watching a news report. Then we go now on CNN to an, a, a prior recorded interview with John Hammond. And John Hammond preaches this new ethos, ethos that he's developed of not only preservation, but isolation. These creatures don't need us to help them. They need us to leave them alone. Yeah. We need to keep them on an island and make sure that, like, we're not going in there for profit or even maybe science or discovery. Just leave them alone. They were a mistake. Yeah. Directed by Steven Spielberg. I, I. That's it. So, so, so there's a couple of things here. Number one, I hate earlier in the movie, in his first scene, that he says the lost world, like, out loud. Mm -hmm. I really hate it because it's only a matter of time before this lost world is found. Because if you get to the end of this and you do like instead of directed by Steven Spielberg, you do like a Nolan like title card at the end. It's right. like it's mm -hmm. as if it's saying like let's lose it. This is the it's the uh... lost world now. Like you know like that's what this movie was all about from the beginning of like we just have to like oh, let it go, let it be a yeah. let it be a lost mm. world. Just let it go. Um, I also think that this movie, I get why they need to have Jurassic Park in the title for um, marketing, marketing purposes, right? Yeah. So, yeah. like, I get, like, you can't just call it The Lost World, even though everybody does. Um, and I don't like, I don't like Jurassic <laughs> Park colon The Lost World either as a title. I think that's, like, very generic sounding. No. But I really hate The Lost World colon Jurassic Park. It's very strange. Really? I wish this movie was called, it's a simple change, The Lost World of Jurassic Park. Ah, I think it's like cool. classy. It's hmm. kind of throwback. Like, it's mysterious. It's like, yeah. I think it'd be a really cool title. Okay. The Lost World okay. of Jurassic yeah. Park would have been a really yeah. cool and the, title for this. Very that. Conan Doyle in the way of like, you know, journey to the center of the earth. Totally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's good. I, I'm. The more I think about it, the yeah. more I'm like. Honestly, this. though, yeah, I totally. really do think if you had, if you had just had like the poster, which is like the sign, yes, and and it just said the lost world, yes. I don't know if that would have. I think people would have, you know, understood. Um, I the problem. I think the problem was twofold. Marketing people think that everyone's an idiot. Um, sure. Number one, that's like their main. <laughs> <laughs> that's like their main yeah. thing that's, that's like their what, do no harm yes exactly it's like okay <laughs> as we all know people are idiots they're cattle and you have to lead them to the water or they you will not to. drink um so so that's that's you know number one number two i think they were afraid of the fact that only ian malcolm was coming back for this one if it had mm. been the whole crew mm. coming back I think they could have gotten away with just calling this the lost world and the marketing team would have been like, Oh True. yeah. I mean, we do a trailer. It has all of them there. People are going to figure yeah. it out. Spielberg. Right. I think people will figure it out, but I think, I think 
they were they were like a little shy about it because it's just Ian Malcolm and he doesn't look anything like he did in Jurassic Park. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and but you know, talk about marketing. Now, flash forward to 2022, it's devolved to where Jurassic World Dominion isn't even giving us the title. It's just the logo. Yes. They're like, well, you order it on your phone. You don't even have to say the name of the movie out loud. Just click on the Jurassic Park logo. <laughs> the, the newest Jurassic yeah, Park You'll movie, give us yeah. 20 bucks or and then it'll World. start playing. It's fine. <laughs> it's true. It's true. That's just how it is. That's just how it is, right? By the way, have you guys, did you notice the Spielberg cameo no. in this movie? No. I can't believe this. Well, all right. Let's rewind real quick. The TV. When they're, you know, Kelly and Ian and Sarah are, Ian and Sarah are mm-hmm. sleeping and Kelly's watching TV. And then there's this shot of the camera pushing into the television as they go, as they look at that, the boat, the reflection. You can see there is Ian, Sarah, Kelly, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, you should check That's it out. Funny. You should. Rewind it if you haven't noticed that. That's a that's a pretty wow. good cameo. He's wearing honestly. a cap, probably. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> whoa! He himself has a signature silhouette, like his characters. That's true. That's very true. He has different eras. Oh yeah, he of does. Right. Right. That's also true. It's like, yeah, he's he's got the like the the old man yeah. hat now. His little right is that yeah. that what it's yeah like Stetson or yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's yeah, and oh, we didn't talk about the music real quick. I just wanted to mention. I couldn't tell what was original Lost World music and what was reprises from Jurassic Park. To be honest, I, where I was like, I I really like this. Is this was this in Jurassic Park? Yeah. I definitely noticed some new stuff. Like I okay. the the bits where they were like walking through the jungle as like a big group after they were captured. Um, there was a lot of like jungle beats and like stuff like that that was yeah, that was that mixed was cool. in that was like really really cool. Uh, John Williams, it slaps, it slaps. It's not as iconic as Jurassic Park, no. but it slaps. It definitely no no slaps. no. It's 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 very it's yeah it's very um. It, it's not, it doesn't it doesn't bring attention to itself as much. Yeah. Yes, that's what I was gonna say. It doesn't bring attention to itself as much as Jurassic Park did. It's very low key, and everything, and even the highest highs are just kind of very, yeah, muted for lack of a better term. And I wanted to give this fact out. I want to give this fact out. That's really interesting. So we talked about the King Kong mm-hmm. connections, right? Like you have the ship. It's called the SS Venture, taking a monster off the island, <clears throat> bringing it to. Was the, the city. book called the SS Venture in Lost World? That's it cool. was. That's cool. Yeah, right. It's great. SS Venture. This is Engine Harbor Master. Right. Um, and so I noticed. I discovered this myself like years ago. I was listening to the soundtrack. There's the you can go on Spotify and listen to the um, re-recording of Max Steiner's King Kong. So it's like a clearer, newer recording from '97, where you can listen to the score without the the crackle the old soundy crackle yeah and i was like am i listening to the lost world oh and sure enough i found out that there's like there's sections in the score for the lost world that is almost like wholesale copied from king kong and i don't want to say that it's a copy myself i feel like it's a huge yeah Cause it and there is, and I could 
tell you that it's track six in the Lost World soundtrack on Spotify, and then you listen to track two on the King Kong soundtrack, and you can hear it. It's called The Island. Track three. That's cool. The Island on King Kong. Thanks, Phil. And you listen to that, and it's like, it's King Kong. Like, John Williams knows, like, he's, he's... it's really good. It's a nice, subtle reference, and it's like something I'm really, that's really cool, really happy to to that's hear. That's a really fun was yeah. Included. That's a really fun detail, and it speaks to like this. Totally is a movie that has a lot of love and some fun and creativity in it, and moment. And but then there's also like yeah. bedrock issues that keep it from feeling. You know, I compared Jurassic Park to Ferrari. Yeah, and. Yeah. And like yeah. Scott, Scott mentioned earlier in the episode, to have a director that is like falling in and out of interest of the material while he's making it, mm-hmm. you know, for the movie to work as much as much and as often as it does, I think is impressive knowing that. Yeah. That's certainly true. Yeah. Totally. Well, it just it just goes to show Spielberg <laughs> is like master of his craft. You know, where it's just right. like even him not trying is better than most of the shit people are putting out, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's bonkers. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, he lives and yeah. breathes movies, man. I mean, I don't think he's stopped. Yeah. He's never stopped, right? He once he started in the early set in the early six, late 60s, 60s, right? Yeah. Like, he never stopped. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. I mean, like, we talked about X Men movies where literally that story happened where the director would fuck off on a helicopter and nobody could get a hold of him. Oh, and it was up to the yeah. writer to handle second and first photography. Right. But sometimes that movie is X-Men Apocalypse. Right. And sometimes it's The Lost World. Right. Yeah. I was surprised yeah. at this. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, all right. Phil, great, great having you on the show and encyclopedic knowledge Absolutely. of the Jurassic franchise. As always. Of the dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> I like the dinosaur. What do you have? Uh, what do you have going on that you might want to plug, Phil? Uh, my Twitter, I guess. I don't know. Like, it's been. I'm in a. I'm in a weird period of my life. No, it's yeah. Uh, we, me and my cousin. Actually, you know what? Me and my cousin, we do like this uh, podcast, right? We try to do it every two weeks. We just talk about two movies: one new, mm-hmm. one old. Um, it's just a nice casual conversation. And actually, yeah, that's what I could plug. Okay, so I'm just. Just Google my name, Phil Dragish. That's that's kind of I think you'll get enough information on that. But specifically, if you could go to Twofold Podcast on YouTube, because we're gonna try to do live stream podcasting mm. there. We're kind of experimenting on that. That's the newest kind of little thing that's connected to this. That's cool. Talk about movies. We don't know where it's gonna go. It's just, you know, yeah. it's just fun. That's awesome. Two, uh, that's a Twofold you... po- Podcast. Go check that out, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. And uh, go to duelinggenre.com slash support. Become a Patreon supporter. If you are listening to this on the main feed, you could have listened to this months ago on Patreon um, because we released it there oh, uh, back in June. So become a Patreon supporter because right now we're doing uh, franchise potential every week for a different Michael Crichton movie. We're going to do... We're going to do Book of Henry. We're going to do Duel, the Duel of the Fate script that Colin Trevorrow wrote. Um, so lots of really cool, like Jurassic related um, material happening over on the Patreon uh, on over on our sister show, Franchise Potential. So that's duelinggenre.com slash support. Go there. 
become a Patreon supporter of $3 a month or more, and you'll gain access to like all of the bonus shows that we do, including Nick's own Dueling Genre Tonight, uh, talking about the latest in entertainment news each week with, with new Dueling Genre hosts as guests each week. I'm on very often, along with lots of other people. But it's a fun show. It's great. People who listen to it every week can't start their week without it. So Thank you. Yeah. Um, oh. I am one of those people. I listen to it every <laughs> week. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, go check that out again. That's duelinggenre.com slash support. Um, thanks to everyone who supports us there. And, uh, we'll be back next week with Jurassic Park 3. Bye, everybody. Bye. Alan. 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 Alan.